Hi guys, so in the podcast today, me and Coach Ian had a lot to catch up on. It's been a long time since we've podcasted. We've got over a massive range of topics from how to deal with injuries, um, how your coach should change their role maybe as you go from beginner to intermediate to advanced, Laurel Hubbard competing in the Olympics, how we think the other supers are going to do in the Olympics. And then we also went through some funny stuff at the end in terms of what our favourite garage boy band and our classic rock tracks are and what our favourite music to train to is. Enjoy this episode. And I'd say training, I wanted to talk a little bit about atmosphere and training partners because I think that's uh, something that we've uh, we've not really touched upon that well. When it comes to the atmosphere and training partners, I feel like that all almost, it's the same as everything else. It kind of changes over time. Like dealing with an injury when you're like, let's say you've just started out and you're like, let's say you're quite an athletic bloke, you're snatching 50 or 60 and you get like a little elbow niggle. It's like you can probably go through it because it's not that much total load on your elbow. But then when it gets to the point where you're like, snatching 120 or 130 or 140 and then you go my elbow feels a bit weird that's not the kind of thing we go oh, i'll push through it do you know what i mean like it gets to a point where like niggles become yeah. potential injuries and then instead of it being like oh i'll just push through it or i'll go a bit easier today you immediately start almost doing like the risk assessment in your head of like oh okay what do i need to do here like is it going to be okay for me to push through or like what do i do i think that's yeah, i think it's one of these things when you when you when you look at stuff like that and it's obviously it'll be always one of the things that we we pop back to all the time with the way that with our past is are you are you injured or are you hurt are you hurting is it just is it the as i like to like i laugh and joke with a few of my lifters it's like oh you've got the floating pain today it's your elbow now and about four hours later it's going to be your knee That's or cool. are you actually hurt are you injured and um i think at any one time through all the guys that i'm coaching i've probably got 10 to 15 percent of them that are carrying a niggle it's something that's not that minor but it's it, it, it's, it is finding that fine line between it maintaining and staying in niggle and just something that we're going to work our way through and obviously we're not going to ignore we're going to 100 address the issue yeah. i mean i'm going through one at the moment with my usual elbow pain but it's it's knowing that it's how to deal with it what it is don't overthink about it and then the appropriate way to attack it or like for argument's sake, like Farah was supposed to compete this past weekend in the British mm-hmm. virtuals or whatever, British Open Series 5, whatever it's called like that, but she hurt her thumb. Yeah. And it was at the point I was I'm like, right, is it, are you hurt or are you injured? She's like, well, I can't do that. So I'm like, you're hurt. That's yeah. not something we can like, just go strap it up. You'll be fine. It's like, if you catch anything above your head with an empty bar and it's hurting, you're yeah. hurt. So it's like, it's also a good thing with like the lifter being, having the comms with the coach to say, look, We've all, and, and, and I'm not going to really shop anyone in like that, but we've all had the occasional lifter that is a little bit of a hypochondriac, but it is at the end of the day, like telling us as well. It's like, yeah, though, I'm, I'm really hurt. Like, bless him, Alistair, he's having continued issues with his back. It's just one of these things. It's just like, it's just understanding it and programming around it. And that's, that's the other thing that I try to get across to people a lot is the fact being that unless you are literally in a wheelchair, we can probably program around this. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that would be my point as well. It's kind of like, I remember obviously going from um, obviously having talks with men and just other people about like injuries. So I've had like this fucking hip issue, which I'm now going to be able to thankfully take time out to fix because of the way things have like the chips have kind of fallen. And it's a case of, can you work around it? Before it was like, yeah, but then it got to a point where it's like, I literally can't. So, you know, when you like try and actually start with your hips in a decent position, you just strip a pull because my hip's so loose and it's so like weird. It's like, I can't actually pull off the floor without immediately going into like arse up higher than the shoulders position. So it's like, well, that's an injury because it like, and I like the way Quint, uh, Dr. Quinn Hennick described it. It's like, it stops you from doing the competition exercise in, to, in, a, in, a, in a serviceable fashion to get yeah. a effect. So like, if it was like yeah. before where like, when it was cold and it was shit and my hip hurt 
But I was like, well, I'm still snatching 90% and it looks good and it feels decent. It just takes me ages to warm my hip up. That's that's a niggle and that's something that needs to be managed, but it's something that you can do. Whereas when like you start warming up with an empty bar and it hurts, or like oh, I've had it from people before where like when they were handling their own training, they'd like have to warm up just to pick up an empty bar because their back would hurt that much. It's like that's a that's a chronic injury. Yeah. Need to sort. Whereas if it's like, oh like my wrist's a bit, my wrist's a bit twanged because like I fell funny on it. It's like, well, what happens? Oh, well, if I wear a wrist wrap and I just warm it up, like the pain's like a two out of 10 and it gets better every week. Well, that's like a, that's a niggle that we can manage down until it's no longer an injury. Like it's a bit of like a weird, like almost like, it's not like an on and off switch, like injured, not. It's like this weird continuum of managing. Especially in what we do, because the, the way that we, we, we load ourselves and the, the compromised positions we put ourselves in, it's, 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 I think like, like me and you, playing in the front row you just you're used to your body being absolutely battered but you can get through it but with this like you this sport you can't it's it's a matter of inches and centimeters and if it's one little thing the domino effect of that like prime example was not that he was hurt was was benedict on sunday with his ankle it was like something as simple of his ankle just not playing ball fucked with his head and i just said to him look just send it at the end of the day, just put it up there, lock it out, and then recover as quick as you can. Yeah. And you'll be fine. It's one of those things that's a, like, you're just going to have to get through this if you want the total. And yeah. he, he stepped up and he dealt with that. But again, these are the little things that you can manage at times and scenarios like that. But overall, it's um, it's always one thing I've said to my lifters, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you have in the past. It's like, we need to know how you are, what's going on. If it, like Even if it's a little five-minute debrief within your little comms back to us, at least it gives us an idea of where you're at, how your body's at and everything else like that. So we can micromanage something that is fundamentally fuck all right now to what it could be is something serious. Like you say with your hip, it's like that only got progressively worse the more you try to push it. Yeah, whereas now like it's got to a point where I've gone and gotten like, some help and gotten it assessed. And it's like, so I don't know if anyone knows the time, it's probably quite helpful for some people actually. If you've got like pain that just radiates out, so like you do your back and it radiates up to your shoulder and down to your foot. Well, that's like a pain where it's pressing on the nerves and like obviously the nerve ending so hard that like it's just sending a message, stop fucking moving because it's pissing off everything. Or yeah. if you have like a pain, which is like mine now, where the pain in my hip is like an ache, but it's right in my glute media since it's a very, very small spot, then it's like, okay, that's centralized now I know what's wrong. Whereas, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I think like it's just the whole thing of like managing your body within like a tolerance. So it's the same thing as like if you have like, you have a kettle and you like basically put it too high and then try and boil it. It's going to fucking spill over. It's going to break the kettle. Mm. If you put it just above the max line, it's probably be fine, but not for too many boils. If you put it below the max and, and so on and so forth, like there's only so much that something can take and it's working out like what the tolerance is for each body part. And you can usually tell because when you snatch your cleaning jerk and you have to save a lift, what kind of throws itself out the way and what throws itself in the way. So when you back squat and you save it, do you basically go into a shrimp shape, throw your hips back so you can use your back? your back's probably the strongest part if you end up basically curling underneath the, do you know what i mean when i say like you basically curl yeah. the bar and shove your knees forward to go onto your toes so you put this pressure on your quads okay so obviously your legs are the strongest part your body doesn't like your back being in the way so now you kind of you can tell from very simply like what it is you need to manage but it's also like is this something i need to manage just because it's weaker than everything else or is it something i need to manage because it's weaker because it's been hurt before like i've had a back issue from something previously or you've had an elbow issue from something previously like when someone has like an elbow reconstruction it's always the soft side yeah, and Berto's the prime example of that. He's slowly getting back in the and he's he's I can I can empathise with him because of what I've gone through in my back and my knee, especially when I was coming back from knee surgery. It was um just allowing myself to be absolutely walloped, and, and like, I can remember the first the first level of contact I, I took playing when after I got given the all clear to play, the the two South African boys I used to play alongside who were who were lunatics from Joburg 
literally speared me from two different angles and I just hit the ground holding my knee and I'm like, oh, I'm okay. Yeah. And Bert's going through the same thing where he's had his elbow reconstructed. He's like, he's, he's we're starting with an empty bar at the moment. And like, yeah. he hadn't lifted, he didn't lift throughout the whole of lockdown. So he's having to find that confidence back in the elbow again. And it's yeah. such a mind game as well, which also sort of then kind of brings on to the, the, the subject of what we want to talk about with like, training partners and having the right kind of people around you in scenarios like this is also massively helpful because yeah. I know what I'm like when I'm in the heat of the moment and things like that and I'm carrying any kind of injuries I'm the kind of idiot that will just keep going and I think you are as well at times so having people there that your training partners and people around you coaches that go right hang on just chill for a bit back off a little bit here is massively important and it's one of the things I find massively hard because like predominantly right now I'm training on my own pretty much exclusively and it's it's having that sort of voice of reason I like to think when I'm lifting I've got mem in one ear and you in the other yeah and, and you two are as bad as each other so it's kind of like no matter what I do it's like go up <laughs> but um like double-edged sword I think like in terms of I think the reason why so I think some injury here so I think I was talking with um one of the girls that like, helps like my rehab stuff the other day and she was like are you definitely sure you've never injured your right side like when we're talking about my hip I was like oh no then like, I thought, oh no, I've had injuries, but very few of them have ever been like, you've got to stop doing stuff. So I've had three MCL tears, no, six MCL, no, five MCL tears in total, three of them right side, two of them left. And I, uh, like a small bone break on my ankle, which I still don't know what it was because the physio who assessed at the time was an idiot. Um, <laughs> and obviously all the hip problems which have come are part of the knee problems. I mean, the knee problems, it is a case of you're at a club, you're with your mates and like, usually it's always sod's law. You're usually in the starting lineup and then you've got a quite small squad. So if you don't go in, they've got to shuffle everyone about and it kind of throws the whole thing off. So then you basically go, right, I can run around if my knee is supported. How much support does it need? Okay, throw that on it and I'll give it a go. And I'll only play 40 minutes, but then we'll see and then I'll play the whole game if possible. And you keep going like that and you keep always going. I don't want to let the lads down, don't let my coach down. Also, I don't want to look soft. So then I'm going to go and play, which isn't necessarily the right thing to do, but that's what gets you and keeps you playing. Whereas with weightlifting, because a lot of the time you end up training by yourself, I think that's how you do develop that like, hypochondriac athlete syndrome where you're kind of like oh my elbow feels a bit weird today oh I didn't do my percentages on this and I didn't do I didn't do floor I did hang because my back felt a bit tight and just constantly in your own head building that up instead of maybe going the other way like um you know that guy uh, animal kid I can never remember his full name uh the guy from Australia fucking massive guy I used to train with them uh Seb Seb I know you mean I just again I can't I can't put a face to the name right now I can't remember like, massive, or he is like massive um, Skinner guy I think he snatched like 185 190 right before he basically had to take some time off weightlifting yeah lifted the right. so he's the example of like if you leave him by himself he will just run himself into the ground like he doesn't have an off yeah. whereas a lot of other people I feel like because you'll be a reasonable people and you're doing a sport that hurts the more you get better at it he'll go oh I didn't really do this today because like this hurt I didn't do that today because that hurt but if you've got teammates that you're training with even if it's teammates is like a very official word even if it's like a bunch of guys or a bunch of girls you train with and you all train on monday wednesday friday at six for example and you show up and you go oh things are a bit off today i don't i, I might just take it easy but then everyone else is going heavy and be like nah we're just gonna crack on then you'll probably go all right let me see how this is and i'll crack on because you don't want to be left one self you don't want to be left behind and two you yeah. don't want to let your mates down like if someone that you normally train on a bar with is maxing out and they need you to push them and you're like oh i don't really want to do it today then that's then going to put them off and yeah exactly and it's the one thing i witnessed today obviously obviously i like um obviously i i, I must have missed the email about the massive session at ronin today you bastards <laughs> but like to see you solomon um christian all the other boys down there and, and omar and stuff it's like to put yourself in a group full of those killers and it just like you say you can walk into a session like feeling shit 
and then within five minutes you're like oh we're, we're, we're going for this today and it's those things that I'm like like yesterday I, I, I weirdly PB'd my, PB'd my power clean and it was just me just putting myself in a bit of a dark spot in my head mm. so it's like I have to dig into other areas when I'm on my own but when I'm like the, the Friday before um before my comp which I did this past Sunday um I PB'd my power clean but it wasn't I felt I'm not gonna lie I felt like absolute dog shit going into that session and it was um Dan bless him calling me out on it and then I went right fuck it we're doing it then so again, it's just like, I think it's one of these things, it's um, training partners and training groups within our sport. I think it's it's massively underrated and I don't think it gets enough um, gravitas to how important it is to have these people around you. And if I, what I was doing earlier on today when I was chatting to someone about it is taking yourself out of the scenario and putting yourself in a situation where you're the small fish again. Yeah. That's that's huge. Like yeah. straight away, like I go from lifting with my whoever I might lift with home, let's go lifting with you guys, and you guys weigh 50 kilos less than me, and you're snatching and cleaning jerking way more than me. So it's like that also lights a fire under your ass. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think it's that whole thing of as well. It's like um I've noticed as a bit of like an aside, but um do you remember Matt Vincent? So he does hate brand, which I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. realize why it was HV. Yeah, it's hate. Like because it's an eight hate. And I was like, okay, that's brilliant. But his whole thing was because he always trained by himself, his whole thing of hate brand was like, oh, it's about him hating himself. It's like how hating how average he was or hating that he wasn't better at something. And then trying to take that negative emotion of being hating yourself and being like, no, but I'm going to make it better. Like I'm going to use that energy to do something productive. It's the same as like animal, animal kid with a thing. Like I'm pretty sure he said like, you know, imagine like, unless you lift the weight up off the floor, and then you make this lift, like one of your family are going to die. Same thing with clock. Like when you want clock off, who is essentially like, if you read his book, which I can't get a hold of, I keep forgetting to order it again because I can't remember where I've saved it, but he just goes on about basically after he basically removed himself from his dad's old coach and his old coach started coaching Akaya, he trained at the National Training Centre alone. So he was in a session, but not a part of everyone else. And you can see he's like having to get angry for every lift. Like when you watch him sitting there, like rocking oh, yeah. forth to set up. He's the more the more king angry. of intensity. Oh, yeah, of all the training videos you've seen, I've not seen another lifter that looks like they are putting themselves in some sort of mental state to kill someone. Yeah, and, it, and it's that whole thing you see. And I, I do wonder, it's kind of like the same as, um, I know it's a film example, so it's not exactly the same, but like, um, oh, um, Clubber Lang in Rocky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rocky, like the whole thing with Rocky is being really positive, you know, Mick being like, come on, you can do it, it's all going to be fine. And then Clubber Lang's talking about killing people. So yeah. I was like, if you train by yourself, I think it's a lot harder to have that positive mindset because you don't have other people. To, to add to it whereas to be negative oh. and to like the seething come up like hey, 100%, it's like I, I take I take what like um as we as we like through lockdown like it, it opened I didn't do it like at times I probably didn't deal with things to probably the best I, I, I could have but like when I got that 130 snatch hmm. three or four days I was I put myself in a hole <laughs> was, I chased that I think it was something like five to six sessions that like just constantly just dialed up to like 125 and then through 130 on the like the high block the low block the floor and the the the, the thought process was i just went into a very dark place with some very dark music and keep going till i got it and to like to even think about trying to snatch that weight now i just i don't think i could put myself in that dark place again but yeah. it'd be, it could be could, could be handy if i did i might clean 160 if i put myself in that dark hole <laughs> Well, I, I think mine was always a case of until I realised, like, and someone gave me like a like an actual co like context as to how much weight I was lifting in terms of compared to everyone else. Like around when I was leaving my first like proper PT job in St. Neitz and going to, to tribe to open that up, I was like, I think I was snatching about one forty, cleaning jerking about one sixty, what one fifty five because I couldn't fucking jerk for shit. 
and I was cleaning around 178. And then it wasn't until I actually started to get into London where I was like, oh, fuck, those weights are actually quite big. And then you almost start to, you lose that kind of almost obliviousness. Like same as like, where, like doing like heavy back squats with like no knee sleeves, no belt, no spotters or anything. And then you dump it over your head at the end. It's kind of like, well, what happens if you miss or what happens if you fuck it up? It's like, well, you'll just hurt. You've got no, re- you've got no relative understanding because you didn't have, when you were training like that, you didn't have anyone to compare yourself to. Yeah. I and all of a sudden you get dumped in a session with some people at lower and you're like, yeah, well, fuck, I'm like 70 kilos ahead of everyone. <laughs> yeah, like that would be the case of, I didn't need to, but I would go into like snatch one day and be like, right. So I'd, I've fucking, something's happened like, John North reshared a video, my, my fucking post on his story, and I'm fucking really excited. So I'm like, right, I'm going to go do a heavy snatch. So I've got no business doing it, so I've maxed that twice that week already. Yeah. I'm go, right, 137's a PB. And I remember trying it eight times. First time overhead, first time overhead, and this is with 130. Went 135, missed it over my head. 137, caved and hit the back of my head. 137, dropped it on my shoulders. 137, clapped it. 137, got it. And it's yeah. like, it's good to have that persistence to get it. But it's also like, you could have just gone, it's not there today, I'll do something else and come back to it. But I think... It's a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I don't know whether you need to be able to do that, to have that mentality to be like, I'm just going to keep on going until I get it because I know I've got it. Even though I think, you I think in, a, in a scenario like that, it, come, it comes down to the situation. And um, like Lucy was like uh, one of the first people I coached to a very good level. She was like that. She could just go and go and go and go. She had no level of rational fear. I think because she did parkour and gymnastics to such a high level that a barbell almost killing her wasn't that much of a big deal. Yeah. For like falling off a building from jumping from one building to the other. Yeah. So it's like, she didn't, she didn't really fear anything. Whereas me, you've seen me do it. Like if I, if I work up to like, I can probably work up to 95, 96% every single day on snatch. For some reason it just doesn't affect me, but that mental battle to go that little bit more. Yes. Yeah. It's hard for me. And then to do multiple attempts, I'm just, I'm not that built that way. If I miss it once or twice, like the first time I went for 120 with you and Dan, yeah, so you and Dave, um, what was it one one out the one out the front, one out the back, and then after that, no, I'm done because I like I just thought my elbow was going to go. Yeah, so it's yeah. just it's just one. I just think it's it's a it's a whole minefield of games and other bits and pieces. And once you you can get your head around my argument with the lifts in general, once you can understand the consistency of your positioning and how you're pulling. Mm that levels you up to be able to do stuff like that. I think it definitely just kind of like I've noticed, I think, and again, like I think I'm almost realizing different things across this week. Like I think when my hip was obviously more manageable and I was able to take more chops a heavier weight, I think it's because my squat was so high and I was squatting so often. So obviously it's almost like protecting that area, but I go in, I try, I remember the first time I think I snatched 140, it went out the front. And then I think I was talking to one of my friends at the gym. He was like, just finish it a bit more. Cause then they'd like try and almost throw it over the back. And I was like, okay, so if I throw it over the back, at least that means I finished it enough for it to go that far. Then it went over the back. And then like the, the third one that I got, I just thought if I can just try and feel it in my hand. So as in, I don't know the, I don't know the expression to think of, but you know, when like you go in your car and you see the suspension, take the weight. I was thinking yeah, if yeah. I could just see myself do that on video, that's at least progress. So I know I've, tried, I've fucking caught it at least. Yeah. Never, right. Because it wasn't like, I've got to get this. It was just a case of just see if you can hold it. It's that, it's that, it's that thing and it pops forward in it. It's like you yeah. receive it, but then you've gone. Then that forward. was my thing. I was like, if I can get it into that position, at least I've caught it. And I didn't think, oh, I can get it. I just thought, well, just try and get a bit closer than last time. Whereas, like, I think as you get better and as you go out of other sports and come into into competing properly, you start going, I've got to get this. I've got to get this. And you put pressure on getting it rather than playing little tricks and like giving yourself little cues to be like, I'll just get as close as I can. And I think that that's, is, that's yeah. funny if you say that. That's kind of like I had, I had someone message me and give me a bit of shit after the last two competitions. I'm like, one go fuck yourself. That's got nothing to do with you too. Yeah. I know I snatched 130 in training, but 
like up until that point i hadn't really competed for like a year and a half like yeah. the last proper competition that we we had both genuinely done was the lower at the beginning of 2020 before all this kicked off oh so it's like, I remember that. like you you me stefanano and dave so i hit 120 there that was a competition pb mm. And then, like, yeah. through the whole yeah. of lockdown, I'd managed to bring my snatch up to 130. It's yeah. so, like, I'm not just going to fucking pull something out of my ass. Number two, I don't need to. It was like, right, first competition back, let's just get a little bit more, right? Because it's a life, as we both know, and I knew more, more than most people, it's like what we do in training and what we do in competition are two vastly different things. Yeah. You're talking about multiple attempts sometimes, like the right scenario, the feng shui in the fucking room was going left to right instead of back to front, all that bollocks. Then the added pressure of a competition, it's like sometimes this shit doesn't happen. Like even Giles said he, he he hit his best lifts on a competition stage, but he didn't do it in training. Some people it's the other way around. So and I said to him, I said, look, with all the respect in the world, I don't need a 130 snatch to win my weight class right now. Yeah. And in and, and my category within uh, the masters, like I'm ridiculously ahead of anyone else in the masters, like in, in my little area in the masters. But it's me versus me. What am I going to try and do? Kill myself for the sake of that? No, you're all right. I'm just going to add a couple of kilos every time I do a comp. And then logically now heading towards like the British virtual champ, whatever the fuck they're calling this that's coming up, which is still a fucking mind fuck to my point. Um, I'm probably going to try and go 128. I'll do 20, 25 or 20, 24, 28. But I didn't need to do anything more than that. So, and then it was like, then I got the same thing about the cleaning jerk. It's like, mate, that was a lifetime PB cleaning jerk. Like, if you knew my history with a clean, you do not understand how much of a headspace I had to get into just to get 45 to land on me, let alone me catch it and then stand up. So, but yeah, it's, um, you, you're bang on with all of that. So, but yeah, overall, I, I just think the, um, having those right people around you and pushing you is, is, and that's the one thing that we've, and I can, I can see that, that we've started to build really nicely at the gym is everyone, just goading each other, getting each other and going and stuff like that. Yeah, like I remember like when I was talking to like some people about it before I moved to London, it was a case of we were talking about like, oh, like I just said, I wish I had people to train with who were stronger because the people I was training at the time, like one of them, like one of the guys I used to work with, Tom, he was saying like he he was getting better like very quickly, like when I actually think about it, but he was like, I can't really push you that much because he was like, I get my programming off you, you tell me what to do, then I just train with you. So like when we're doing like deadlift squats or like we're doing like conditioning, yeah, whatever. But when it came to like Olympic lifting, like, it wasn't the same because if someone when someone's just trying to snatch 90 for the first time and someone's trying to snatch 150 it's different and that was the main thing that got me stuck I was like I don't have people to train with and to go to like a training weekend is really good but it's almost like you're almost like teasing yourself you go to this training weekend with like a bunch of the guys and you're like fuck that was so good and then you go back and you're like oh fuck I've got to train myself again do you know what yeah. I mean whereas I know some that's, people that's really where I suffer for me yeah. like it's, it's that I'll see you guys on a weekend I'll come into London say on a Friday and train and do a couple of PT sessions and then I'll, I'll go back to the gym on a Monday after working the weekend. And I'm just like, meh. <laughs> it's like, how do I drag my ass out? Fortunately, I like, um, I've, I've managed to drag Bert back into the gym, but he's, he's, he's for the guys that are like, so the people listening here won't know Bert, but Bert is like the best hype man in the entire world. It's the only way you can describe him. You could be lifting like absolute dog shit and he will talk to you in his Italian accent and make you think that you are something that's just been moulded out of marble by Michelangelo. And you're like, I've literally gone, mate, I've watched that lift. I almost died. No, but you were magnificent. And you're just like, all right, fuck it. I'm going again. Bang, PB. It's just like, it's nice to have him back, but I've only got him like 
once or twice a week. So we've got to try to really sort of cherry pick which session for, to drag him along to and go, right, get a pass off your wife. You've got to be here Thursday because I'm maxing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I had him doing, um, just on a side note, I got him doing the um, the banded pulls with me on Tuesday. Mate, you, you almost had a meltdown. It was brilliant. I was doing 120 uh, snatch pulls with bands and he was just doing deadlifts for speed work and we were just both sat there on the side of the gym, just like sweaty, horrible messes of just telling everyone to go fuck themselves because they didn't understand what we were doing. Um. Sort of next subject to a certain because I think we've covered those bits like that, and it's it kind of segues quite nicely in is like elite level lifters and hobbyists, so people that are pushing. I think it's a it's a it's a good little sort of like a thought process that yeah, the, the the main thing that I've noticed start thinking about more is listening to like because I think like I think the main podcast I listen to weightlifting wise is usually weightlifting house Josh's philosophical weightlifting seeker strength yeah. that lot, and the main thing that I noticed that um. I know that they keep, he keeps, Owen always calls him dare because like some people can't say fits, but I don't, I don't understand why the fits I think was saying that, um, which I thought was a really good point. So like some people like basically usually boys and guys will always think I'm going to be the best. And they're always talking about what numbers they're going to hit. And they're going to hit these really big numbers this year. And they're always going to go for this, which to an extent I think is fine. Well, then it's like, what happens if your priorities change? Like instead of actually, instead of being like, oh, actually I want to block snatch 150, which I did want to do is like, actually, I just want my hip to work properly so I can lift properly with good form well that's fine but you've got to go that's what i'm going to do whereas like with a lot of girls and stuff and this is from my experience as well thinking about it after listening to it today it was like well a lot of girls will say this is how much time i have to dedicate towards it it'd be really nice to get to this level i don't know if i'll get any further we'll see how i get on then when i get there then we'll address it so it's like oh, i want to go to british nationals don't think i'll win but i want to go to british nationals that's my goal for this year i can train four or five days a week most months of the year and I can sleep. I, I sleep okay for most for most nights. I can eat pretty well, but I'm still going to go out with the girls and, and get prosecco up on a Saturday, maybe a Sunday as well. And do you know what I mean? Like you, you bring your priorities in and you start looking at where's the give and take in terms of stuff. Whereas I think a lot of people think till too late on in their athletic careers, I think they they feel like they've got to push to be the best. They've always got to push to be the best instead of being like, well, actually, if you're let's say like private security worker and you work all over the place you can train a maximum of three days a week guaranteed for two hours each but you won't but you might only sleep four or five hours a night sometimes then you've got to look at well how much can i recover from and how much can i improve i need to look at enjoying the gym and just making any progress just any progress at all whereas if you're like i'm head of an head of a student union and because of this year obviously i've not had as much work in person i can sleep 12 hours a day if i want to and i can train whenever i want because i don't have to go into work at the moment then it's like, well, then you you can push as pretty hard. You can push as hard as you want. And then you can tailor your expectations off of that. And I feel like that's the difference between elites and I say hobbyists or people who do it for a hobby. It's not a very nice way of putting it, but on that spectrum. No, no, but it is. At the end of the day, none of us are, well, in context, none of us are getting paid by British yeah, weightlifting. Exactly, which is the other thing that, that changes it. Like when you're elite and when you're getting paid for stuff, and it's the same with rugby. Like I was fortunate enough to do it for a very brief period of time to be like an actual more or less professional athlete. It's a case of you'll just figure out, okay, so coach said my throwing shit and I'm too small. Okay. Well, I'll add a gym session in. I'll do some more throwing. And it just means that I won't go to this lecture on a Monday. I'll just, I'll just reschedule it and go to the one the next day. Oh, um, I can't do that. Oh, um, they said I'm not fast enough. Okay. Well, I'll go out at lunchtime at school or lunchtime at uni and I'll do sprints yeah. and then I'll go and eat an extra minute. Do you know what I mean? You'll, you'll manage it and be like, what is it that I need to do to carry on moving? And you, you never accept a stall in progress. Like if you get a stall in progress, you figure out what else you need to remove or strip back or add in to bring yourself to the next level. Whereas if you start to have a bit of a rough period or a rough patches, like a, you know, a bit of like a hobby lifter, you'll figure out 
how to change it just so you start enjoying things again. Like if you're snatching, cleaning, jerking, back squatting, front squatting, pulling all the time, and it's not working, you can't recover from it. You'd be like, okay, well, what could I work on at this moment in time that I really need to work on? And just let the other stuff kind of decay for a while. Yeah. So my snatch needs work and my pull's awful. Okay, well, I'm just going to do snatch and pulls. If I get the other stuff in, great. If I don't, it doesn't matter. Whereas for like an elite athlete, you're like, no, I've got to find a way to do the program. So that's how men would be taught to approach it. So it's like, you've got to snatch, clean and jerk. It's a completely different, like, like if you if you look at like Mem and the the the, the system he came through, it, it's it's a job. It's like it, it's this it's the whole thing. Spartans, what is your profession? Mehmed was like, I would literally get up, train, <laughs> eat, train, sleep, train. It's a different philosophy completely. That that is the, looking at the elite of the elite in my perspective. And then when you when you go down from there, is obviously. If you are that good, you're going to be lucky enough that you're going to get all the funding and support. And then obviously it kind of it windles off, even from a rugby perspective. Like you look at the boys in the Prem versus the championship and so on and so on. And the help that gets less and less and less, the more they go down. It's the same in lifting too. You end up all the way back down as a hobbyist or like return to your home club rugby where you're lucky to get a physio that has, isn't actually a trainee yeah. sport masseuse not a physiotherapist who can just about tape your wrists up and that's the thing so, you look at, like, it, i think it's the same when you're looking at doing a performance sport and you're not just looking at training for health purposes which i i personally believe if you're not a very well balanced person and most people who choose to do performance sports whether it's rugby football um to precision jiu-jitsu like whatever it is and you choose to do it and you really want to go for it you're not doing it for health reasons you're doing it because you really want you want yeah. to affirm yourself and you want to you want to see how much you can do and you want physical performance, but you're trading it. Basically you're building your health up to then spend it on elite performance. And then the health's going to go down. So then you build your health back up again, then go and spend on elite performance. There are some things that elite performers do that you can use to be healthier and have fun with training. But the, what we're doing is we're trying to make people keep people as healthy as possible whilst they perform to the top level so they can enjoy it. And they're not yeah. afterwards. Cause that's the main thing you'll see with like rugby players, weightlifters, powerlifters, they'll use their body up for the sport to the point where it's almost beyond the point of no return. And then they get bitter about it and they don't enjoy the sport. Like for a hobbyist, I feel like if you're an elite athlete, when you go to Worlds, let's say like as an example, so let's say you're Matthias Steiner and you go and you win the Olympics and you hit the heaviest total you ever had, you are never going to hit a heavier weight in your life. That's the point that you've done. But you could go down a weight class and you could have some fun and lift. But does he want to do that? No, he went and started boy band and he does very well in Germany. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's the thing. But when you're a hobbyist, there's always, 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 until you get to what, let's say late thirties, early forties for something. It depends for some people still it depends when you start. There's always a, a way you can tweak a little bit more and get a little bit more weight. There's a PB you can hit, there's a lift you can work on. There's something new you can do. Whereas when you're an elitist, you're literally looking to max out your genetic potential to the point where you will reach a day. Like Klockov was, did a post on it saying, it's really good to look back on the lifts that he's done, but also really sad because he looks at it and goes, I'm never ever going to get anywhere near a 205 snatch again, ever. Yeah. He's like, it's lovely. I love looking back on it. He's like, I love looking back on it because it's, it's great to watch and I can't believe I did that, but I also can't believe I'm never going to do it again. And yeah. when you, but he's gone off and done CrossFit and he's still in great shape and he can still do stuff. And that's the stage that I'd hope that a lot of our guys would get to where if, you know, I don't think it will ever be this way in England unless you start getting companies that individually stipend people privately like a pro like MDUSA tried to do, but I don't even know mm -hmm. if that would work, where you're paying lifters to do stuff. But it has to be a case of, especially for our lot, like after people have done British nationals or maybe someone hits a British record, they get to go to Euros or something. And then they slowly go, well, I'm not going to lift that seriously anymore. It's like, well, you still want to lift and have fun with it. Yeah, you know, I might want to do like a big block snatch like Radon Anoushi did. Oh, I just want to see how high I can get my squat. So you'll still train and still be a part of the club, same as you would be at a rugby club when you decide to play social sevens instead of elite sevens and second yeah. instead of first team. Exactly like what I'm what I'm planning to do after this year or next year is a case of like, I'm still going to lift, but it's going to be like, right, I'm going to chase one or two little things instead of trying to yeah. juggle 
the constant barrage that is snatch, clean and jerk, the divisions of each one of those, squat, GPP, everything else like that. Because it's the one the, the one thing that I can safely say about me and rugby was because of my injuries, I fell out of love of the sport. Yeah. I had to walk away from it because it was causing me so much pain to do it. So it's 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 hard when you're in a scenario like that. And I don't want that to happen with lifting. And I've learned that the hard way around mm-hmm. with the first sport I fell in love with. So <laughs> to, to look at it from a, a logical perspective, you, you're absolutely on point with all of that. I think mine was almost the other way around. I think with rugby, it was a case of like, I had, right, I think what? So one, two, three. So the three, the three tears I had on my right side, the grade one, grade two, grade two, just borderline grade three. And I came back from all of them, never had a problem with that actual knee again. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, so I basically, I didn't feel like I was going to get broken at all. Cause it was like, if you did snap something, it just basically repaired itself really quickly. So I was like, well, okay, I can just do whatever I want basically. <laughs> Literally because I approached it and because this is because like all the psychological help you get now, I say the psychological help, what psychological help is available or like mindset counseling, counseling or, or coaching, whatever you want to call it was you need to make sure you enjoy it. I didn't get told you need to make sure you enjoy it. Apart from coaches I hated that I didn't get along with for yeah. various reasons. Um, but I just got told, oh, if you do this, you'll be able to get to this team. If you do this, you might get a contract. If you do this, if you do this. And when you get there, like it feels like, um, you know, that weird meme that people always put up where it's like um, the astronaut looking at the planet, the other astronaut behind it, yeah. saying it always has been. Like when I got to like actually playing like, a professional game, I was just going like, oh, wait, it's just the same, but you get money and it hurts more. And it's like someone behind you going, yep, this is the way it's always been. And it's like you get there and it's anticlimactic. It's like you're literally doing the same thing. It's just you, faster. You also find that with a lot of those coaches, it was... um. They were sitting on your coattails. I'm um, not so much. One of the coaches was actually like, and again, it's like oh, that I used to. Um, and looking back at it, I don't dislike. I don't dislike him now because I can see what he's trying to do. It's just we didn't match up very well in terms of personalities at the time. It's a guy called Neil Price, at, um, Catching Rugby Club, and then there's also another guy called Lenny Newman who was like he 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 was at Catching Rugby Club because he loved it. It was he was like it was his son's club, like where we where we where we played in the age groups together, and they both tried to help me a little bit. And Neil was always a case if you need to make sure he used to basically like. I thought he was bullying me. He was just trying to tell me not to be soft, basically, which was, he was completely right to do that. Um, whereas like, and he just said, he kept saying to me, you need to make sure you enjoy it. Like you're focusing on doing the job. You need to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it and you get to the top, you're going to fucking hate it and you will hate the game forever. Absolutely fair. And that's what I think happened. I got to the top level. I realized that it's actually really hard mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like you get this massive relief of, Oh God, I finally got my first pro contract. I finally got paid for my first game. It's all going to be good. Um, the actual going up to being in a professional team for however briefly was the best part. And then actually the games I enjoyed the most, I remember was playing out on like when they kind of situate you after Academy at another club and being a part of a club where it was like, yeah, you got paid to play, but you also were a part of like a really good grassroots club where you went out on the beers and had a community afters. Whereas going to a club that was truly professional in the kind of the same league across and where there was no atmosphere and, the, yeah. and everything was a bit abrasive. It was like, this isn't fun. Like, yeah. this is not actually a job, but you're not getting paid enough for it to be a job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's your hobby becoming your job. It's, it's, yeah, and I've, watched, and I've watched friends do it in the weightlifting where they think they want to be really good, but then they realise that, like, you know, they're in the same weight class as Zoe Smith and they're like, oh, I don't even clean and jerk, I snatch yet. And then, yeah. it's, and then they get deflated because they then go, oh, well, what's the point? I don't want to lift anymore because what's the point? And it's like, well, my point is to have fun and to improve yourself. But now that you've given yourself and programmed yourself to think, if I'm not going to catch her, there's no point because I'm never going to be the best at it. Then it's like, well, then you're kind of you if you keep telling yourself that for too long you ruin it for yourself and you can never do it again which is yeah. why i think it's, it's, 
I it, but even CrossFit's kind of like a double-edged sword because it's like with that, at least it could be, I'm not going to lift things so I can have a really good engine. I've not got a good, en- I've not got the best engine, but you know what? I'm fucking sick at barbell cycling and gymnastics. And so, you know, you can go around and pick, it's almost like, you know, the, um, the little web thing you have on FIFA for the player in terms of speed, power, handling, and all that stuff. Like if your speed is cat, you can just pump the power all the way up and pump your shot accuracy all the way up and then you're still useful. Whereas in the CrossFit, it's like, there's almost like, if you're shit at gymnastics, if you're not great at gymnastics, it doesn't matter if you're good at the other stuff, you're going to get found out. If you're not good at, if you're really great at barbell stuff, but not great at running, you'll get found out. If you're really great at running, but not good at barbell stuff, you get found out. Do you know what I mean? So it's like That's that. what happened to Fraser, wasn't it? it he, he walked into it and obviously had his background in Olympic lifting. And yeah. obviously he is one of these weird genetic freaks that is gifted. And if he'd been discovered at any other sport on an earlier date, he'd probably been world-class in whatever he decided to do. Well, but it's like he, he worked on all those little things. He went away and went, right, I'm good at this, but I'm shit at all yeah. these. Well, he was, can I, go spend time? I think his coach, or I think his name was like, he was his coach and manager. I think his name was O'Keefe something. Yeah, um, yeah. He managed him perfectly because he, or even stuff like apparently, um, like he wouldn't do household chores and he wouldn't do loads of like mowing the grass and like chopping trees down because he didn't want to fuck his grip up or maybe hurt himself for training. He wouldn't use a steak knife or sharp knives to cut stuff before competitions in case he locked part of his finger off. Yeah. Like he would, like, do you know what I mean? Like there was so much weird stuff that go into it. He'd take all his food with him in a cooler because he didn't want to risk buying something there and then not being able to get what he needed or how upsetting his stomach and all this stuff where it's super, super, super neurotic, but they made sure that he was the absolute best. And I think it's like, well, Brian you... Shaw did the same thing with Strongman. Whenever he yeah. went out anywhere, he shipped his food. You yeah. can imagine that fucker's food being shipped. Brian Shaw, the size he was. So it makes it, those little things make such a difference. And it's that whole thing. It's like, do you want to be like that? Like you, then you look at like someone like um, so let's say like on the Chinese team, like Shiji Yong, who basically just it seems like he just does what he wants. So like, don't do box jumps, you might hurt yourself. Oh, okay, but I saw a bunch of British kids doing so, so I'm just going to go over and do it. Um, I'll see you boys in a bit. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, where it's just like inconceivable. How is he doing? Why? How is he managing to do all this when it seems like he's just fucking around? Wasn't it? Who was it? Was it? Uh, I don't know if it was Seb telling the story or someone else was there, but apparently, like, even in training, the the, the Chinese team are just doing some crazy stuff without even that you wouldn't even think they're doing. Like Lou was like just having weird uh, muscle snatch or power snatch competitions. And like just just throwing in variables, and obviously that makes that you look at the elitist versus the hobbyist. It's them trying to make what is their job fun again. Because again, it comes back to that full circle. If they're miserable, I can only imagine at times. Obviously, we have a lot more freedom than I would say than most Chinese people probably do in those systems because a lot of them are being forced into certain things at such a young age. But like you're having to make fun up to keep it relevant. Yeah. Whereas they don't have the escapism or other bits of things like we have uh, the ability to just go oh, fuck off and have a little bit more free choice in what we do. So it's it's again it's that elitist versus hobbyist thing and how, thing of how like, it changes. You really want to be the best that much that you're willing to maybe be a bit miserable or to suffer or to really embrace the suck that much that it's going to. Hey, be- if someone turned around at me and said, "There's a gold medal over there, but you've got to be miserable for the next ten years," I'll be fine. Do you know what I mean? That's that's the level of commitment they have. It's like you're going to win a gold medal, but you're going to be miserable for 15 years. Yeah, it's like the whole thing of um, what's it, um, when they did that anonymous um, questionnaire. I keep meaning yeah. to find it, but like it's been ratified enough because loads of other people talked about it. So I'm pretty sure because other people that I trust to be more scientifically thorough than me, <laughs> it, it's definitely okay for me to use. It's a source. Um, it's a questionnaire basically saying, um, okay, so you've got a choice. You can have a gold medal in your event or world and a world record, or whatever, at the next Olympics if you take this pill, but you'll die four years later. No, it was, it was like 10 years later. It was like a very short you die early. You die early. Over half said, yeah. Like you've got people where like, if you're part of an elite sport, you get to a point where like, you've got something, like you're not a neurotypical person. Like you don't have, you don't have reasonableness. Like 
the same thing as like where you get like thrill seekers where it's like your like your like your serotonin or like your dopamine senses and receptors don't work properly so you just keep doing more mad shit to be able to get to it some people don't understand that like um like rich rich froning's wife when he like snatched i think is at like 130 for the first time and she was like does you really need to lift that much? I seem stupid. Whereas he's like, oh yeah, that's really great. I'm, but I'm getting close to 140. Like it's a two different mindsets of a reasonable person who's like, I don't really need to lift that much to be healthy and to, to, to you know, to be happy or whatever. And then one person's like, well, if I could do 130, that means I could probably do 140 because I've got 10 kilos up in a year. So then yeah. I hit 140. Do you know what I mean? It's that whole thing of you're always just, it's like, it's just like an endless trudge going towards what you don't even know like when you when you'll be happy with what you stop because i guarantee you every single person like um stefan stefan boatev he was like oh i almost hit 260 in training but um abajay stopped me because i didn't need to do any more because of that it was more than enough to win and he didn't want me to hurt myself and i think i could have got it definitely had 260 in me oh, I, I remember listening to that podcast with seb when they were talking about it i think he, he, he'd done like 260 270 in training yeah and it's a and whole it's like, thing like, you don't need to hit it anymore but that's what makes you really good like you always think you can do a little bit more like i guarantee you the same reason as like johnny wilkinson went and played in france and then captained the team not being a native french speaker or a native french person and then yeah. won a league there and then won a world cup and then also got voted probably what the best player in the world god knows i think it, it, it was more than once i think and then was like top do you know what I mean? Like, and he, was the, and he won a World Cup with England and he won, like, a French title with France because that whole thing of, like, after the World Cup, you could have easily just gone. Fuck it. Retiring boys, I'm just going to do club rugby in Newcastle now. Whereas he went, I need a new challenge. Like, this is boring now. Like, I need something difficult. What's the hardest league? Oh, and I've got to learn a new language. Yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. Then after he quits, what does he do? I'm going to climb Mount Everest with the least kit possible because that's a new challenge. That's something I haven't done. Do you know what I mean? It's that constant, like, you're trying to find things to test yourself with because you're bored. And yeah. you're not getting simulation of what you're normally doing. What like you need to people like that, I think you, 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 it's, it's the extreme end, but it is right. Once you've you've hit the pinnacle of a sport like that, it's um like in the rugby terms, it would obviously be a Lions tour win. He wasn't given that, and then to to go to the top fourteen as literally an English speaker, and then learning French, and then end up coaching the team as well. I think at some level, it's just you just have to doff your cap to Wilkinson because he's just on the, he's on a different fucking level. Yeah, and no one realised as well the amount of injuries he had. Like I think he had he had to have weird heat treatment on his pet yeah. bicep. He was like he literally was held together by tape. So yeah, he kept putting in so many hard hits that he um he got calcium deposits building up in his bicep and his pet because his body's like trying to put something there. Just to protect him. So it's like his body's building up new bones because this is so fucked up. Like mm. in his shoulder and his in his bicep and his pet and it's like but he just kept heat treating it and getting it done and I think he kept on like I'm um, doing his adductor or his groin when he was like stepping because there was like, a weakness there and he did it like three or four times the same way and he still just kept rehabbing going right well let's try it again right well let's try it again oh it's gone right well let's I'm try pretty it. sure um Dan Carter was in the same boat as well with his head his neck injury or head injury so it's oh, just he took a year out and then still have the the patience to be like I'm still going to go back but I'm going to take a year out to sort my head and then I'm going to go back would you get someone like um Jabashontain Hape, the league yeah. guy, he got so bad that apparently he had to like, so he could, he had to be in like a dark room and not have any like bright lights on him for a bit because his head was so bad, but he just went, yeah. oh, I'm not doing it anymore. Whereas there's a lot of people who will just go, I'm going to get my head fixed and then I'm straight back in there. I'm not fucking stopping there. Yeah. It's madness, isn't it? But like, you are right. Like I say, it's the, that's the difference between sort of like when you look at it from the elitist to the hobbyist, that's, that's the level of commitment and how... How far you will push yourself to reach a certain level versus the hobbyist who's just happy to do a little bit of snatching and cleaning and jerking versus actually understanding what it's going to take for you to get to. <clears throat> like I've always said to my lifters, it's like, I'll, I'll pick on her, but Farrah's like, I want to make the British. I'm like, hold up. 
right, let's just do a local comp first. Yeah. Let's get a local, then let's get an LSC champs, then let's get an English, then let's get a British, because that's the logical path. I'm not saying you're never going to make it, because you will, because you are very gifted. But fundamentally, you've got to kind of make the little jumps first to do it like that. So it's, um, but it's great. And I think I can, I can speak for myself and obviously probably for you. When I get a lifter who's turning around and telling me that they want to fucking go and do this, I'm like, fucking sick. We're on it. Let's go. Like, I've got, I've got your back for the entire journey. But like, some, sometimes it's kind of like, I've got your back, but we need to just, just, just slow your roll a little bit. We've got a few hurdles we've got to jump through first, but we'll get there. But it's, um, it's a, it's a lovely thing when you've got lifters that just want to fucking just fully, fully commit and then, like I'm, I'm, I'm in for this now, which is, which is great. It's all like, it makes, makes our job a lot easier as a coach when someone's that committed and happy to do it. So, um, next subject, obviously something that um, caused a bit of controversy, uh, and then, uh, and we do like a little bit of controversy here with uh, Laurel Hubbard and the inclusion, what's looking like the pending inclusion into the Olympics. Um, have you heard much, read much so far on this or? Well, my, my general thoughts on it is a case of, like, and I know it's not a great example, but someone like, um, and again, it's really not a great example. So please don't hang me for it. On someone like Bruce Jenner, who is in literally firsthand in that experience of having, uh, of having sex change like bio- and trying to biologically change sexes and change genders. Um, and even she said, I don't agree with it. I don't think it's fair. And I think it's a whole thing of, it would be, it, it, it's the context of it that's really difficult. If it was a case of it was like, it was Bruce Jenner, who was like, um, when, oh, what was he, was it Swimmer? Was he a, when? No, when, no, he was, he was a, um, oh God. Bruce, was he a swimmer or a triathlete? Tri- tri- no, no, not triathlete. Tri- the, the, um, the multiple event, decathlon. Yeah, so decathlete. If, if Bruce did the decathlete, and then became Caitlin, but then went, I'm going to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Then it's a bit different because it's like, well, you're going into a sport where, yeah, you have a conditioning advantage, but you don't actually know what you're doing in the sport. Whereas Laurel has gone from being fairly, like performing fairly averagely in when she was a male in New Zealand, but having experience of weightlifting and being able to do certain numbers and being able to carry over that experience from competing against hot, you, you absolutely in terms of the weights you have to lift, harder competition, and then you've taken it across. And it's the whole thing of, there's some people saying, oh, well, you don't carry any advantage. And once you change over, like with the different, with the different hormones, obviously you have to take, your advantage will be lost. But it's like, no, but the muscle memory that you have from being, from being, from being a heavier person and lifting more, the muscle memory you have, is literally proven in your mitochondria, you remember that. So if you snatch 160 and then you got, you got a biological sex change, you took the hormones to do that. And now you start snatching again, your body still remembers what 160 is like. It can't do it. Yeah. but it remembers what it was like. So it remembers the tolerance for that. So you already have an advantage because of what you've experienced. So there's that whole yeah. thing that you've had an advantage. It's that the thing that I have with it is like, if, if it's a case that's going to happen, you do have to have dialogue around it. And the way that the IWF, and I think, I think it might be the Olympic Committee have basically said, no one's allowed to complain. No one's allowed to say anything about it when she goes and competes in the Olympics is weird. Yeah. Like, where like, you're not allowed to have any dispute at all when it's like, well, it is a, it is a bit like you do need to look into all of it. And it's like, and if this happens, then why is Casa Semenya not allowed to compete when she was born a woman and she just has high testosterone because she's intersex. I think it was a found out she was technically intersex. So she has both male and female hormones of male and female genitalia, technically and all that stuff. But it's like, if you're going to go, yeah, if you're going to go yeah. as far as being like Laurel Hubbard's allowed to compete. So like, then what about Casa Semenya? 
and there's different cases because one's like one's a transition and one is just a state of being that, that, as to how she's been for for god knows how long um yeah what you just have to look at the contradictions you know what i mean it's a case of as well like i've seen other cases where fee where male to female transitions have happened where they've been rugby players when they've been male and then not bad ones and then they've gone to being female i'm not going to out i'm not going to start like naming a bunch of names on here because i don't think it's fair um and then they've gone to being female and then they've started playing rugby and stuff and then you watch it and it's like that looks like a different part that looks like a man playing against some women like as in the speed the aggression the pace and the power is different the skills are different and more polished and it's that whole case of i don't think you should be able to <laughs> Not, I don't think you should be able to. You need to just be wary of and consider what's going to happen when you carry someone from one sport. And even if they're, even if they weren't elite in when they're in male in male weightlifting, like Laurel wasn't, and she's in male weightlifting, and then came up to female weightlifting. Now she's obviously elite. I think it would be even worse if you went. This person was an Olympic standard or an elite standard or national standard level in this sport. They're now going to come and do the same thing in the in the female sport. And you just have to at least, if even if we're not going to say it, it's not allowed you at least have to highlight and consider and just acknowledge there is going to be an advantage and people are going to be pissed about it for some quite legitimate reasons. No one's saying that like you're a lesser person or saying that you're a bad person or that you don't deserve the same chances as everyone else. It's just saying you have an advantage here. You have a very clear advantage. Like I think, um, who is it? Do you know, um, do you remember Matt Kroc? Matt, Matt Kroshileski. So he was a very famous bodybuilder and powerlifter. He was probably the spokesperson for... Um, Elite FDS, Elite Fitness. Oh, yeah, no, that's Unbelievable. Like, I think the whole thing, you know, when people were like doing really strict rows and then people started coming in, grabbing a strap with a dumbbell, overloading it, yanking the crap out of it, like making it almost like a bit of a panda pool. Apart from the Chinese team, Matt Kroshileski is who made that popular. So he is now transitioned over and now his name is Janae. So now Janae Kroshileski is gender fluid, non-binary. I think she started off and she was like, I am a girl, but then she decided I'm going to be basically non-gender specific and whatever. But she has gone as far as being like, I'm still going to compete against boys when I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and when I powerlift because she feels like that is fair. Because yeah, that, that's, to me, that makes more logical sense if that's what you're going to case of like, um, you know, when um powerlifting, I don't know if it's such a thing now, but there used to be this really big thing about you'd have a, you'd have like a, you'd have like a qualification for what is an elite total in the world for powerlifting, geared, ungeared, raw with wraps, raw without wraps and so on. She hit an elite total in, I think, a few weight classes. Unbelievable lift. So she's come back and started competing again because she's like, I love coaching. I love the sport. I still want to be in it. But she competes against the boys. When she does yeah. jiu-jitsu, she competes against the boys. And again, that might be a more extreme case because when you look at her physique or when she was mad, when you looked at his physique, they have an unbelievable amount of muscle mass where you think, well, you did untested federations, you might have used certain things that go with that. So that's yeah. her unfair advantage. You imagine if she, she then went, oh, I'm going to compete in a tested federation against women. Hmm. Then, you, And then it brings into that, and that's like more of an extreme. <clears throat> you can see the, the pure advantage that she hasn't taken. And then you look at that and think, well, okay, well, she's, you could have the debate, but she's just taken the debate out of your hands because she's just gone, I'm still going to compete where I did compete before. It's just my my new identity and how I feel about myself and how I want other people to treat me has changed. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing where she's almost separated sport from... Yeah. from I think life. it's interesting as well because also obviously the there's a few other sort of... Just due to... I think the, the other little things we've got to take into consideration with this as well is that the fact being that Laurel, Laurel has... It looks like the, the, you, you, she's going to finish as the top, um, the continental spot, I think, is the reason how she's getting in. Um, I don't think she's getting in on a performance-related uh, 
aspect or anything like that as it sits right now. So for some people that aren't aware that to get to the Olympics this time round, you had to finish in the top eight. You can only have one person from your country in each category and only four people can go from male and female if you've got a full roster of lifters. So by that, a lot of people that are like 15th, 16th, in the world right now all of a sudden jumping all the way up to like third or fourth places because of people being pulled out and everything else like that but if you finish as your continental the best lifter in your continent then you get a spot so that's how Wes Kitts has qualified for the Olympics I think it's why how some of the British girls might be going I'm not too sure um, I think Sarah was in run for the top European spot or did she qualify outright I can't remember now um, oh what's the question Either way, but there's, but basically Laurel has got in from my understanding from this 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 loophole that she's beaten the other uh, Aust- uh, sorry the, the other uh, Kiwi based lifters and Samoan and everyone from that and took the the whatever specific area is. So you argue there that you're robbing these people of a spot. Yes, yeah. some of these girls that are training their entire life off to living a dream when they started when they were could be like 13, 14 years old, if, if younger, a, a place at the Olympics. You could be robbing someone from New Zealand a, a spot from the Olympics. So it's like the the domino effects of that is going to be huge. And I think it's going to cause a lot of uproar across the board. Yeah. And probably cause her and like some anguish as well, because obviously this is not going to go down well with some of the female lifters in the New Zealand li- lifting team. So it's like, it's, it's, it's that. But then also there's potential chance that she could medal yeah. Um, just for the nature of who's going and who can't go because of all the sanctions. The likelihood is some of the, the, the best female sumo, the female supers. So you've got Tatiana, I can never pronounce her surname. So like, Oh no. So Tatiana Katarina is out. So Tatiana Katarina is out. The North Korean super is out because they're not going. I don't know. South Korean super, you know, the really young girl, yeah. To squat with the male bar because she's obscenely strong is out. So I personally think it's going to be Lee Wen Wen, unless she bombs. Yeah, the Chinese, the Chinese girl will go. Um, after that, I can't remember who would come second. I don't think the other Chinese super is going. Well, it's the way, the way I think it's looking at the moment is like predictions. I reckon for the for the female supers, yeah, is going to be the the Chinese girl because she's just on a different fucking level. Lee Wen Wen, like nineteen twenty, whatever she is, she is just. She's a freak. She's I think, unbelievable. I think we'll probably um, get 40, 45, yeah. 70, 75, 85 from her, I think. The other, the, the next person who's in contention is be Sarah Robles from the States. Oh, I forgot about Sarah. Yeah. What does Sarah do, though? Like, what, she's, she's in and around the same. She's like a 140, 160. Oh, really? I didn't um, know. Oh, around, around that, I think, like 130, 140, 160. That, something like I think like. 130. If, if she's in form. I don't know what she's been doing leading into the... the I think America, America's a bit of a techie one in terms of like how they do their stipends and stuff. So I don't know if it's gotten any better. But oh, I, think, I think she should be covered on stipends. I just, I, I haven't seen, I haven't followed much of her lifting. So I don't know where she's at right now. Also, do you remember those, do you remember those two supers? There was Sarah Robles and there was another girl before, like blonde haired woman, but I can't remember what her name was. She ended up going out of weightlifting. She went and did Biggest Loser USA for some reason. Oh, that was... Um... You know who I mean, don't you? She lifted it. She lifted it. Uh, muscle driver. She's absolutely like not to be rude. She was a. I think I'm pretty sure this is a. This, this might be a wrong fact. So people don't shoot me. The two heaviest supers that have ever weighed in is Chingus at like 200 kilos, and this other girl Holly Mangold, who weighed who weighed in at like 180 kilos. Was it Holly Mangold? Yes, yeah, Holly Mangold. Yeah. 
Gold. That was the only other person I remember. And it's kind of like, and Sarah Robles has been going for longer than her. So I wonder, well, it's kind of like. About the same. I think she's a little bit younger, about the same. But experience. You want to say, oh, yeah, because you've gone to Olympic before, you've got experience. But it's also like, well, Lee Woman's younger. She's had more competitive experience in terms of pure competition, in terms of what you've had to go against. She's lifting heavier. Um, you've then got Sarah Robles. She'll win. Sarah will come second. But then yeah. you've got um, Emily's coming in from the dark. I th- I, th- I reckon Emily will get bronze because I think it would be Emily or I don't know if um I don't think coach you know coach Mary from America used to get selected jerk of unbelievable map that was the only person I thought if she goes then that will be the battle for third but I think I think it will personally go Lee Wen Wen Sarah Robles if she's in form and then uh, Emily kept, I, I well Emily's just very good she's been very good across the last few years especially recovering from her knee and oh she, yeah she's also very nice. So it would be very yeah. nice, especially after you. It would be it would be wonderful. But my my main concern now, and I, I was talking to Campbell about this the other day, is the fact being if, if Laurel goes mm. and she's in form, um, because the other thing that people have a lot of people have, have gone a bit batshit crazy about, oh, she's gonna do this, she's she's been breaking records. She's not broken any records. Mm. She may she may have set some continental records for New Zealand but like she's not I, I saw a post with her going oh she's doing this and she's broken a world record I went no she's not there's a 19 year old from China that's snatching more than she's cleaning joking this, this is what please, I mean please, please you're clickbaiting the fuck out of this but what I was going to say was is the fact being that Emily's been on a bit of a run up I think because of the knee injury she, you, you're just seeing her getting better and better and better yeah. and I think that she is a shoe in for fourth or third without a shadow doubt but Laurel um in the Commonwealth's blew her elbow out. Yeah. And I don't think I've seen anything up to that where she was at the level that she was entering the Commonwealth's. And we all know with a massive elbow dislocation that she went through, that's not the easiest thing to recover from. So you, I don't know what form that she's in, but that's kind of your top four with the, the second, the third and the fourth place being Laurel, Laurel or Emily. So, so, so if, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's any kind of like indication, the... The first competition she did was as a plus 90. Do you remember when we had that weird time where there was like a under 90s, over 90s class, the women, yeah. which I thought was actually a good idea. Um, 120, 127, 131 with a 149 clean inject to finish. So 131, 149 for a 280 total. We're looking at the most recent competition, which is the, the recent, most recent recorded one on hit what I'm looking at, the major results. is Patia 2019, 131, 154. So we've seen a five kilo increase in two two and a half three years and that's yeah. after the that's that that's with the elbow break happening in between yeah so i i just think when you have that and you've got that injury as like a whole thing like um i don't know i'm not i'm not convinced she's going to make loads of progress between now and then just because i think you're going to see emily making a lot more progress especially because she's younger and she can recover quicker as oh, well especially if you think about- look at the I mean, the one person to like from a super perspective to compare it to was Bahad with obviously he blew out his ACL uh, before yeah. Rio and then you never really saw him fuck up. And then after he came back from Rio, come back to lift at Rio, he always had that dodgy lockout on his jerk and it was always that front foot that was landing. So it was, um, he, he couldn't, he couldn't lock a jerk out because every time he stuck his front foot forward, you could see his, his knee go. So when it's a knee and an elbow, you just, and then the pressure of it being an Olympics. On the same time. I also don't know if it's worth bringing up, but I personally, and we'll go into like the male female differences, but I didn't realise Laura's actually 43. Yeah. When you put it that way, I know that obviously you, your attestment to it, where you started a bit later on, 
on weightlifting. And I think because you've done rugby and then you start weightlifting further on, almost like you've got that like 10, 15 year tolerance for weightlifting where you can keep pushing it for a bit. With Laurel, she's been, she's been, she's been lifting since 1998. But that's yeah, when she's a happened. junior. She's a junior. She competed in the four New Zealand boys. This is a, a, a junior world level, I think. So she's got that history of it. So it's a question of, again, she's transferred, she's transitioned to being a woman, but some of the physiology that carry, that goes with you of being a man will, I think... You're going to keep it. It's as simple as that. It's like you can't well, get around the issue. Look at, how, look at how many girls end up being quite good masters and they retain a lot of their strength and how many boys, when you start to get into your 40s, 40s start to fall apart because it's almost like your body doesn't hold itself together. It doesn't. As older, it needs more work. And I think that maybe that might be something that kind of carries itself over for her. And I think as well, like when you think 42 or 43, you've lifted for that long as a male and you've lifted heavier and then you've transferred over to being a woman and you've transitioned and now you've not got the hormones to help you maybe recover as quickly and you're 42 or 43 and you've had a major injury. It's a whole thing. I don't, I don't personally think she will be able to pull out a 140, 170 or, one, or even a 140, 160. I think you're going to be looking at around the 30 mark and around the 55 or 60 mark. And I think we will see Emily do pretty close to 30. And I'm, I'm, I'm adamant you will see like 60, 62 on a clean and jerk. I think with Emily, you're going to, with especially the way that Cyril trains her and stuff like that and where her her leg strength is, is um, her leg strength is just fucking ridiculous. Like Emily's squatting is just, you look at it and you just go, for fuck's sake, like, what the fuck? Um, there's so much more left there that mm. I think, like, when you looked at her at the, at the Europeans, like, it didn't look particularly hard. We both know how hard that would have been for her, but when you look at it, it's like, there's more there. If she's got the, if she's got, it's one, it's like, it's like the Matthias Steimers type thing. If she was told at a certain point on the, on that platform in Tokyo that, right, you've got to clean and jerk this to get a bronze medal. Mm. I am more likely to put my, the, the house's money on seeing Emily do that than Lauren. Yeah. Oh, I, just, I just think Emily's just got, she's got a, a, a fighter's performance in her that is, I haven't seen to date in British weightlifting yeah. In, the, in the modern I, era. The, the I, modern I, era think that, I think that obviously Sarah Davies will do well, I think, and a lot of it is down to, not, I'm not slightly discounting the fact that she trains very hard and takes care of a lot of different things, like in terms of she tries to explore the different avenues of performance, like can I get an insole on my shoe? Will that help? Will more activation drills help? Will conditioning help? Will getting a sports nutritionist help? And all these different things. But it's also just the absolute supreme confidence she, that she has in herself, which you can see, like it literally, like it, it like bounce, it literally like put oh, it. And then with Emily Godley, I think it's a case of one, it's quite surprising when you see her lift what she lifts, not because you don't think she can do it, because like when it's leading up to major competition, what 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 does she lift leading to competition? Like you might see her do a Chris Freebury where she lifts on all black bumper plates and shows you some triples, but you're not yeah. seeing what weight it is. So you don't know what she's gonna do going in this competition. And she's very much the she's very much like the of the I think the epitome of like don't don't talk about it, be about it. So like she'll turn up, she'll win, she'll smile, she'll say like, oh yeah, really enjoyed it, and then she fucks off and goes back to training. You don't know what she's going to do, which I think is quite it's quite hard like, against that when you don't you don't know where the weaknesses and what you can pressure her with or how she's doing. So you can't pick at anything when she gets there. And I think that's another good thing that you've I've, we've seen with Cyril's interaction now with Sarah and Emily as well. Um, Emily Campbell, this is that that he's very. I think that they're very calculated what they're showing us right now. Mm. I've got I've got a funny feeling there's some there's some lifts in the in the archive that might come out after the Olympics of these these girls doing some really fucking stupid shit. 
<laughs> you just you sit there and go, what the fuck? <laughs> how do, do you know what I mean? Just like out of nowhere, Sarah snatching like one fifteen off blocks or something silly like that. It would just it would just be something along those lines where they're 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 holding it away. But I could be massively wrong, so I could always ask Stuart to find out, see what they are what they are up to in the training school. But yeah, like I said, I think we're gonna see. I, I, not to sound too sort of like corny with it, stuff like that. This this Olympics, if Laurel does lift and go through to it, I think we're going to see some major, major changes in qualification and other bits and pieces, because obviously this is going to be the litmus test for the entire situation. And yeah, yeah. moves forward, it, 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 they're going to have to potentially look at qualification. And if this happens again, like, how are we going to deal with it? Are we do we have to deal with it better? It's, it's, it's going to open up a whole can of worms across the board, and I think not only just for weightlifting, but I think for most Olympic sports. Um, which weirdly, like, you, you haven't really seen many other sort of male to female transitions happen yet, but at, at that level, but because I don't think you're going to see many sports where it's going to be. It's gonna. What's the right word of putting this? Like, I think with weightlifting, it's obviously there's a caveat straight away from male to female. Like obviously, you're gonna you're gonna perform at quite a good level quite quickly. But I don't think in many other sports you've you've seen a very sort of parallel comparison. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna see. Like, I don't see like male to female. Like, like if you look at like let's say if um, Andy Murray suddenly decided that he was gonna transition into tennis, yeah. obviously that's a huge thing there. But there's not many individual sports that. You'd, you'd see it go that way, I feel. so. I mean, this is one of those things where, like, everyone obviously wants to talk about being equal and being given, given equal opportunities, but it's, like, it's looking at, like, are you looking into the context and, like, the actual effects of that? Because if it's, like, if a, if a woman decided to have a have a transition to being a male but got, like, obviously all the hormonal stuff as well, then you still might be at a disadvantage in terms of the way your skeleton is structured, in terms yeah. of it might not be the same as, let's say, a male who has wider set, deeper hip sockets, like, you know, denser bones or whatever, you know, the different biological differences you usually see, uh, but you would have exceptions. So like, can you imagine if like Serena or Venus Williams had a sex change and, and, and became biologically a male and then played tennis? Like yeah. that that would be an issue for the whole, for, for Andy Murray and for everyone else. But it's the case um, of like, it's not going to happen for, mo- that's not going to happen in most cases where you no. get an absolute stud transfer from one sport to the other. But this is the one case where it's like someone has gone from being, and I do think this has got a lot to do with it is they've gone from being not necessarily the best in their sport, in, even in New Zealand, like nationally, and then they've transferred to being the best in the world. I think that's where people maybe might be taking exception because it's like, well, it almost like for some people, it's going to feel like someone has transferred across and then they've started, oh, yeah. I'm doing this because I've got an unfair advantage. And it's like that whole thing. I don't know. I, don't I think, I think it's, it's it's a whole like, when I when I was, obviously we touched on it before we started recording. It's it's a very thin layer of ice at the moment, and I think this is going to be like I say, this is going to be the, the litmus test to it all. And we're going we're going to see. I think afterwards, the IOC will have to step up and put a better regimented like logical way of qualification. And and does it affect? Is it going to be doable? Because I now see this becoming the norm. Well, I think moving forward, we're going to see a lot more of this scenario happening, um, which is fine. It's, it's the way the world is going. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I understand or get it, but I just think we're going to we're going to see it happen so so much now that it's going to have to be something that right, going to I'm not going to go into it because it's like not to go into it too much because again, I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth, say something wrong, and then someone tries to come up and cancel me. But it's like yeah, the whole thing about I think it's like a weird stat where it's like a lot like more people have the operation which is a very permanent operation 
and then decide they want to reverse it, that they met, that they feel like they made a mistake and they didn't really know what was happening. If they have it before they're 18 or the, the, basically the younger they have it. So it's kind of like, so a lot of people are then calling for, well, don't let people have a transition, like, a, like a, um, a sexual transition operation at a young age or when they're like only just turned 18 or something. And people say, oh, well, you know, you can't stop people and trap them in their own bodies and all this stuff. But it's like, but if people are doing it and then reversing, surely that suggests that then we need to give them a bit longer or educate them on it. And I think it then opens up the whole thing. Well, if you're going to allow this, this issue, this like this new thing that like is, is very much like this new kind of this new talk around identities and you know sex and genders and how some people feel like they need to transition or they need to swap or they're not born in the right body you then need to start educating people in sport because people in sport i i i personally feel like that is where you get a lot more mental disorders a lot more neurodivergent people who aren't typically their head doesn't work the same as typical person hence why they'll be able to get to elite sport so then adding in a lot more of this stuff to it you have to be careful with how you enter it because you need to have it come in with the right information so if someone does feel like they're not sure if they they might feel like Laurel and feel like, well, I didn't, I don't like being a boy. I want to be, I, I, I want to be a woman or vice versa. The information needs to be there. So people know how to have the conversation properly because then you're, you're trying to welcome more people into a sport. But at the same time, you need to make sure you're doing it with the right information to come with it. Not just saying, oh yeah, just, just no one talk about it and just, just get on with it, which is what they've kind of done. They basically said, no one can say anything bad or give yeah. Laurel any shit about it when she goes to this event, which, yeah, like, don't go, and, don't, don't go and give the lady fucking tons of shit. Like, the decision's been made that she's allowed to compete, and if you're going to get an Olympic medal, you're going to go and fucking do it. But, like, you can't just not say anything about it and not talk about it. That's the same thing as what um, they've kind of done to, you know, Derek Johnson. And I don't know everything about the case. So if I'm wrong, someone fucking DM me privately um, instead of, like, hammering me for it, like, anywhere. But, like, his whole thing was when people complained about racism within USA weightlifting, they quietly went about almost, like, injuncturing them or saying... You're not allowed to talk about it, otherwise we'll ban you. You're not allowed to talk about the case. Because we're doing internal investigation, you're not allowed to talk about it, otherwise you'll be banned. And then they've purposely not invited people who made complaints about racism because they said we're not allowed to talk about it. This is the other way around. Instead of like hamstringing someone because of like how they're being treated, you're almost trying to empower someone. But then when you're not allowing other people to speak about it and ask questions, you're then hamstringing them. Yeah, so, it's, like, it's, so, it's pretty fucked up with Derek, isn't it? Though, bring everyone together and not just say, Laurel's allowed to compete no one fucking talk about it. And that's the, that's the issue that I have. I really don't, I'm really not that bothered either way the case goes, as long as it's done in a fair manner and we try to make people feel included. But this yeah. is a bit like you're including her, but you're also almost, you're almost, you're almost handing her a poisoned chalice because like you're making it so that everyone's going to be not that comfortable with her being there maybe, especially with the competitors. But what are you also doing? You're also making it so that no one can talk about it. Yeah. And the other thing I look at is one of these things is also that, like, if the wrong country gets screwed out of a medal in their in their eyes, they could end up suing. Do you know what I mean? They could, they could genuinely kick off to the court of arbitration and go, look, this is not fair because fundamentally this person is is, is a male by birth and had an unfair advantage. So it's just like it just opens up. Like I say, it's just. Everything in the past, like to, to, to blanket it in one thing since Corona and everything, everything's so fucked at so many different levels right now. It just like, like I said, I just think we're going to, it's, it's going to open a massive can of worms and a lot of things I think across the board are going to have to be uh, looked at and rethought and re-engineered just due to the fact being that this is the president, president case of this is the first case of it happening everything else after that they have they have to set a precedent on how we're going to deal with these situations and scenarios and how it's fair is it not fair because there's other sports like you look at it like long distance running 
like it's not that much difference. Do you know what I mean? From like one, one athlete to the other at that sort of level. But in a physical sport like weightlifting, there is obviously a, a transferable skill set. So it's it's a bit of a clusterfuck in it overall. It's quite it's it's quite dated information. But I remember reading um to the bumpers book on linear um no sport periodization and he has like this stat in there. It's like when you look at the trainability of like women's muscles and strength power in the legs and like the hips and the back, like basically, basically from like your lumbar downwards, yeah. you'll be able to achieve upwards of 85 to 90% of your male counterparts, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. Like think about how close a lot of the snatch world records are in the equivalent weight class. Yeah. The girl, boys, like sometimes it's, it's close to 90% sometimes, like you get pretty close, especially when you start to introduce, you know, like the, you know, the, the, the dark times. <laughs> before testing was really a proper thing and you started having like some women were like oh you're an 81 or an 85 and you're snatching almost 140 okay um that whole thing but then you also look at it and think okay so since people have not been allowed to use testosterone or standards and all that stuff women's records have gone down and so yeah. men's records obviously but the men's probably not as much as necessarily women's have it's also that whole case of there is a reason why when you look at endurance events the longer the duration gets the closer the women start to get to the boys and in some cases especially when you look at like more like national, like regional level events, a lot of women will beat boys because their aerobic system is usually a lot more powerful, like in terms of relative to their size immediately before they even train. Whereas boys, they're usually on the back foot with developing it. There's that whole thing of like, there's obviously a physiological difference, which has got an advantage and a disadvantage. Like even with like, so with like women, the higher your estrogen is, like your estrogen and progesterone levels, I think the, the more powerful your immune system is. Whereas, like, when you look at some boys, if you've not got a lot of estrogen in your body, you've got loads of testosterone, you'll, you might be more susceptible to certain illnesses. Like, that's an advantage. That's a physiological advantage. It's a physiological difference. The same thing happens with strength with any sport. Mm. <clears throat> and I think it's, I just, I just think it's worth, like, at least acknowledge it and talk about it. Yeah. Even if that's that's the biggest thing. You're absolutely right. At the end of the day, it's, it's just have the debate and then <laughs> build a structure around it that's going to be acceptable across the board yeah um, it's 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 topic. do you remember when it admit when um that whole thing with ed Miliband went about around about that where he um he just said he said like on tv debate me one on one <laughs> but it's, it is it's one of those things i just think it's in this someone told me five ten years ago that we'd be talking about a subject like this i'll be like nah bollocks me it doesn't and i've just i just get, every year i get more and more surprised by what we're having to deal with and in, in the world of sport and how crazy but I do see yeah, things are getting. A lot of this stuff happens, and not to be a conspiracy theorist or anything, but a lot of this stuff happens. You notice that a lot of this stuff gets like riled up when there's important stuff happening. Like, so in England, for example, like the Tories and Boris Johnson want to slide the general election forwards. But is anyone going to talk about that? No, because everyone's arguing about like, oh, so if my friend doesn't get vaccinated, am I going to invite them to my dinner party? Or are you going to get vaccinated? Or are you going to go to a red list country? Oh, I'm not sure about that. Who did you vote for in the mayoral election? Oh, like um, have you put your have you put your gen have you put your um have you put your pronouns into your bio? Oh, you haven't put your 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 things as your pronoun. Oh, so I noticed you put up an LGBT um um filter on your photo, but have you really done anything about? Do you know what I mean? It's like this whole thing where they're being nice and trying to help each other out. It's like. I feel like a lot of this stuff, people want to argue about things because they want things to argue about because they don't yeah. have... It's, it's, it's like the other thing. It's like, oh, the Euros are coming. All of a sudden, everyone's just talking about football again. It's like, do you know what I mean? It's like, you, you you couldn't have got that more more in point. But yeah. I don't know, mate. Like I say, I just, I just... You know when you just sit back and you're just like, I'm going to watch a car crash. Yeah. It's like... And I, and I, and I don't want to like make joke of it, but, that's it, but it's just going to be the case of like... It's just, it's just ironic, isn't it? With everything that... <laughs> if weightlifting's gone through... 
with all this stupid shit with the IWF, with all the crap we've gone through with like trying to sort the, the sport out and all these other things, then the first transgender athlete to make it to the Olympics is going to be in weightlifting. It's like, can we have any more spotlights on us right now? It's just like, can we just not quietly just get on in a corner and just like, just like not have any level of controversy. It'd just be nice just for one year, weightlifting, not have any level of controversy, but moving forward, it's just, like I say, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. And I, and I, I hope that all parties involved take it well, if that makes sense. It's just, however we're going to do stuff, it's going to, um, it's going to just, I just, I just hope that it doesn't kick off massively. Do you know what I mean? That's the other thing. I, I, I know you're saying about the, uh, another, another weightlifter that's been involved in car crashes. Yeah. I, 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 I thought, I didn't know if you meant to make that joke or not, but I thought if you did, if you did, you managed to keep a straight face, you know, absolutely fair play to you there, lad. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw that. It, it got, I think, um, weightlifting, I've got a really cool little bromance going on with weightlifting deets, the, um, the meme page and he he sent that through to me he's like look check this out i'm about to do a post on it and i'm like for fuck's sake not again yeah. <laughs> like can weightlifters stop driving cars please yeah I'll do it, I'll do it. um so next topic is somewhat more of like the last serious coaching one is what do you think the difference is how does your role change when you go from someone being beginner to intermediate to advanced you're probably the best person to speak on this because you you are the, you are the roading coach who probably gets the most people in who like i would call a true beginner like most of the, the beginners, and I'm doing the quote things with my hand, if you're not watching this and you're listening. Um, I think it's one of these things, and obviously, like, and if, if people aren't, when me and Chris, when Chris asked me to come on board at Ronin, we had a bit of a chat about the, sort of the, the flow of this and the, the, the way that it would work if we suddenly found a lasher, <laughs> which would be the dream, wouldn't it? Um, there comes a part where, like, I'm, I I enjoy doing the sort of beginner to intermediate phase. I've, and I've dealt with elite lifters before with like Lucy and a few others. But for me, the real love of it comes at that beginning stages. And then we've always agreed the fact being that if we got someone that was literally shining a bright light like that, the, the logical thing would be to progress them up the coaches up to you to, from sort of for me, intermediate level to you and then potentially Mehmed and so on and so forth. But from a, a coaching perspective of like, taking them fresh into intermediate there's not a huge lot of difference i think it's one of these things where you're you're growing with your athlete as much as they're growing with you mm. so it's, it's i think it, it would be a lovely situation and we're both more than aware, aware of this currently right now with uh, the way <coughs> the set up with gb is if we if we did have a lifter that did shine and went straight let, let's say we took on a junior lifter we got them to junior nationals all that sort of the minute they hit a gb squad they took off you mm. Or like because you've got to be like level blah blah whatever done this done that. Stu Martin's taken over. So from my I I don't particularly change much because I'm constantly evolving and changing what I'm doing with them as they progress. So it's it's quite an easy question for me to answer. It's like you just I evolve as they get better. I try to improve them on the shit that they're bad at, so on and so on. And it's just constantly readdressing, looking at the low-hanging fruit, looking at the long-term games, looking at what competition we're going for. It's like you're constantly levelling up with them as they go, if that makes sense. I don't think you need to change much. I think Penlay kind of hit the nail on the head when I spoke to him. Is like <laughs> the further you go up with a lifter, the less you've got to do. Yeah, sometimes right. it's, it's very much like you're there just to be the emotional support. Yeah, slap them on the ass if they need that. Tell them they're being like, like, like Mem's done with me, like you're being a twat, just do this. Like, I think you can 
back off a little bit more. It becomes less technical and more support role. But at the beginning, it's full on like technical, technical, technical model all the way through to the point where they get like that going, right, that's as good as you're going to get with your natural ability. Mm. Now it's about staying, not getting hurt and getting stronger. Yeah. And then, then if they progress <laughs> to that like upper intermediate to elite level, it's like, right, okay, don't fucking disturb the apple cart because whatever you're doing is fucking working. But in the same breath, be the supportive role. If you, you look at like, I think the person that I look up to a lot and you probably do as well is, um, I'm only assuming here, is Spitz. You look at the way that he's evolved with Wes Kitts, taking a very, very raw lifter from American football and grid to the Olympics. And it's just been at the beginning stages when people, if, if no one actually saw Wes Kitts lift, the only way to describe it was just a guy that can produce ridiculous amounts of force. The guy was a freak. Mm. Like he was cleaning 200 like it was nothing. Didn't do much on the jerks front. I think, I think even he would say his jerks were one of his weaker points. And he was just throwing snatches up. And now he's in the 180s, 220s. Yeah. Okay. So, but I think it's been that molding and then it's been <laughs> Dave backing off and just putting him through his paces. So, yeah. but like I say, I think that the further you go up, the less you've got a tweak. It's just more sort of hand holding. Yeah. I think it was a bit of a difficult one because I always, because of the way the coaching is structured at the moment, the way that we end up working is basically beginner to intermediate is the way we give it up. So, if anyone's listening to this and they obviously want to join Ron and want to know how we work for their own business purposes, are we just basically look at who, who are they? Do they have a sport history or a background that suits one of our coaches best? Do they know one of our coaches and have asked to be <coughs> one of them? And then it's a case of if they are beginners, they've never done the thing, they're coming in for session, they almost always get given to like your markers. And then if it's like more of the intermediates, it's basically pretty even money with like who's going to suit. It's just basically like who's going to suit them or who has space. And then when it comes to more advanced people, I feel like it is usually me at the moment. And I think it's because it's one of those like naff things where, yeah, it doesn't necessarily matter how much you've lifted. And when it comes to coaching someone, but in terms of the way that I end up coaching anyway, it's very much, I would prefer to at least know a little bit about like how it's going to feel when you do stuff. And when you start to get heavier, it's like when you're younger, it's like, okay, how much can I let them do? How much can I let them experience? How much training can they do? I really want them to like get like a full experience of it. Let's train as much as we can. And then when you start to get into it a little bit more, you need to realize that like, it's almost like, it's kind of like the only way I can think to describe it. It's like, it's like a thermostat if you've got like a thermostat, let's say in like a country like England, where it only goes up to let's say like 35 degrees and all of a sudden one day in the room, it hits 45. Your thermostat now just knows it's hot. It doesn't know whether it's 35, 45, 50, 60, whatever. And then yeah. I feel like your body does that with like, with heavy lifts. Like you don't know how heavy this is because it's just fucking, it's just fucking heavy. Everything so, north of 125 is heavy on a snatch. And that, and, that, and that's the thing. And it's like from then on, it's kind of like managing, not just managing it so that they don't get hurt, managing their enthusiasm. Mm. and you usually have two camps either people who lose enthusiasm really quickly because they don't feel like they're doing very well which is usually the girls and again that's a cultural thing i feel yeah. and then managing the boys to not let them hurt themselves because they will try to do too much of the wrong things and they'll try to be stupid just managing yeah. that and then man basically managing burnout both physical and mental because you need to make sure that if someone's going to lift they don't burn their body out beyond the point of no return where you then have to completely like basically heal and mend something and then goes to the point where you have to build back up their training capacity to then start attacking weights again, which is the stage that um, some people end up getting into. And sometimes it's hard to come back from that, depending on what age you are. And then also getting to the point where mental burnout gets to the point where you do not like lifting anymore. And that's mm -hmm. the other thing that you have to stop people from getting to, which is why um, sometimes, even after competitions where someone feels good, I'll just say, have a week off, fuck off and go do something else. You can do 
anything that's not a straight bar in the gym, but you can't max it out. You can do whatever you want. You can go run around. You can go play five-a-side football with your mates. You can go play basketball. You can go for a run. You can do whatever you want. Just don't be in the gym for a week, maybe yeah. a few weeks. And then you slowly start building back up. And it's looking at how like you balance these things because you're not paying someone 40, 50 grand a year or more to do this as a job. You're not paying someone to be at the gym. They don't live in the gym. What they how they feel about themselves shouldn't live or die in the gym. The gym should be something that really adds to their life. And it's this really big thing where even if they don't have a good session, they still feel good about the fact they went in and trained with their mates. And I think that's yeah. the main thing for me. As you get to a high level, you need to keep that kind of almost like the same feeling you would have had when you went skateboarding or rollerblading or doing parkour, BMXing with your mates when you're 15 or 16 or like 12 or 13, you're fucking around just all trying to do different tricks and you all really wanted to be better so that you could have fun with your mates. Mm-hmm. Same thing you'd have when you were like 14, 15 and like you're playing rugby with school or you got picked for your first county squad and you were just psyched to be there because you just really wanted to get better and you were just so happy to be there. You need to try and keep as much of that feeling about training as possible because that's how you progress really quickly. Like, so the two people who would probably be the best examples of that from my side that I coach would be Tash, Tash Osgood and then Benedict. Benedict mm-hmm. the case of very, very, very like hard on himself technically when he doesn't fucking need to be because he moves the best pretty much out of all the boys. Unfortunately, yeah. very sorry to everyone else. Um, no, you're right. You are right. He, 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 his, his movement's flawless. Yeah, whereas Tash has the opposite problem. Tash moves very well, but she's also very enthusiastic and will always want to go heavier and she always can go heavier. Then it's managing that so that you can have a training cycle that's long enough where you don't burn out too quickly. And this is literally the first, like in terms of her training, this is the first time we've gone, let's back off a bit and not go. And you, this is the only time when like for, let's say two weeks where we will go, we're not going to max out if you feel like maxing out. Where sometimes we'll be training, she'll be doing an email, she'll go, this feels really fucking good, can I max out? It's like, yeah, you've got halfway through, feels good, then go for it. And that's a case of because it was always good, because her recovery is good and her enthusiasm was good. But then it's a case of just backing off that enthusiasm and pulling the reins in. So it's like, you're going to have to force some recovery and engineer some recovery at some point. Whereas with Benedict, it's almost always, how can I find a way to help you train harder? And how can I make it so that you don't feel like you're failing if you have a hard session? That's Mm. it. The programming stuff is like it is whatever. Like I suppose, like programming is programming. But when you look at elite level stuff, and like say, like, like I, I was lucky enough to bend Penlay's ear about it, but it was like, again, he said the amount of like trying to hold Donny back and hold John back was like, almost impossible. Mm. So he had to manage that scenario and that situation by managing it within the constraints of what lifts they were doing. Yeah, no, we, we've we've all seen the videos of like the fact being that John wants to fucking be Bulgarian more than any of the Bulgarians, and it's like, well, you can you can stifle that by making him go off a deficit. You can you can stop him from going off blocks. You can do this. You can do that. You can add a little bit. Like you've got like one of my favorite videos is the seven for seven at ninety percent, like between him and Spencer Mormon, like adding the the level of competition with a teammate in, but restricting it within certain areas. And I think Penley didn't get a lot of credit for that kind of level of thought because it, oh, it, was, it was very, very, very clever um, to be able to put the brakes on them without them realising he's putting the brakes on you, but you're still going to get better. So don't panic too much about it. Mm-hmm. So be, it, it, I, I think that's the bigger thing when you get to Tash, Benedict, um, LB, all these other guys like that. That's that sort of the game you have to play with them versus whereas me, it's like even up to that intermediate level, it's a lot of it's still massively technique driven. Because these guys are still improving. They're improving at a great rate, but they're still improving. They're not quite at that level yet where we can go, right, okay, well, your snatch is pretty much, like, you look at Benedict's, like, there's not, apart from me on Sunday saying, sort your start position out because that last one was shit. Mm. Like, 
and he would he switched on straight away after that, set his back, and he did the bar. He didn't have to chase the bar. <coughs> yeah. He moved fine. So it's like there's, there's not. I couldn't tell him to do anything that he's not already doing. So it's just like you say, it's the management of the athlete. The higher you go up, I think, compared to the lower level where it is a lot more technique driven and program driven. Yeah. So I, think it's, I think it's worth saying to me as well. It's like once you get to a point where you've learned to lift, yeah, there's things you can do to change it, but it's not going to be the same as when you're a beginner and someone says, oh, get your elbows up when you finish this match ball because yeah. your elbows aren't doing the right thing. And you can just do it because like you're still very much like fluid in what you're doing in terms of snatches. Whereas once you get 100%. to lifted heavy quite a bit, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to change the way you move because your body trusts that way that you move. So then that's why you will do muscle snatches or hang snatches or no foot movement snatches or clean grip snatches because it's like it's something completely different that will teach your body to respond naturally in a way that it doesn't do at the moment to the main exercise. Um, because of that, if you come in on a certain day and you think I'm going to snatch 145 today and you get to 138 and it's heavy as fuck and you do 140 and you miss it, sometimes there's literally nothing technically that I could say or you could say or your coach could say to you or your mate could say to you that's going to make you do it. Like your 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 readiness is your readiness it, it's your readiness on the day if you're mentally fucked you're not going to all of a sudden unless you have something in the toolbox to bring you back around a little bit because yeah. you've had four hours sleep and like i don't know your missus is yelling at you and your kid's been keeping you up on that whatever you're not then going to go and hit a pb unless your body is ready is really really ready for it if you come in on one day and everything feels super stiff because you had to go on like a fucking a, like you know a marathon run for charity on the weekend and you feel mentally really good, but your body's fucked. You're probably not going to hit a one at max that day. You're going to get what you're going. But once you get really fast, you're going to get what you're going to get. But there are ways to prepare you so that what you're going to get can usually be 90% guaranteed to be higher than what it was before or to the level that you want it to be. And this is one of the reasons why I think that especially the Soviets didn't go <clears throat> for PBs and comp unless they were on fire or like they're obviously peaking towards the end of their career or it's in Olympics or something, because it's going to be like, you'll always be able to do 90%-ish if you're conditioned of your best one rep match. You'll probably be able to do 95%, you'll probably be able to do 98%. But going for that really, really big lift won't often be there in competition, especially if you're cutting weight and prepping as well. And I do also believe that if you peak properly, it's basically equivalent of me going into my car and if I'm <coughs> on it because my car's not supposed to go over 100, it's like me putting a fucking booster in there, like a turbo booster, and taking the governor off so it'll let my car go 140. Yeah, it can go 140, but it's not really meant to. Now I've got to take to the shop and I've got to get it fixed. It's the same with your body. Like when you peak, if you peak properly and you peak hard enough and you get it right. And I think I've gotten it right two times where everything feels like even the last of the day where you hit a PB feels really, really light. You feel like you could have done more. And then for the next two weeks, it literally feels like all your joints are going to fall off and slide through your sock and mm -hmm. everything feels fucked because your body has gone from a point where you've managed to trick it into turning off like some of its like protective measures so that you can literally access more force than you could before so if you think your body will only ever use 70 to 80 percent of the maximum force you use per muscle but you've peaked in such a way where you can access 90 percent like you've you've redlined it and you've redlined it leading into comp and you've redlined it on the day so i think that's personally why well as an aside i think that's why that the soviets did that because if you're cutting and then you're peaking and you're going to feel really good they'd rather be oh, like, yeah. so we'd rather take a guaranteed pb maybe world record performance, maybe medal performance, then let you take a five kilo PB because you feel on fire. And then actually the next week you go, oh mate, you know what? I think I tore something. Yeah. Because you've been at quiz, because your body will let you do it. Yeah. It's um, it, it's, it's a, it's a fine line. Like, I think we, we discussed it before about peaking and stuff like that and the ways and means around it. I think for the last two comps, the, uh, the Scottish and the Scottish virtual and the, the, the online series five, whatever it is I did there, I oddly peaked well. Um, and, and came away came away with lifetime bests from it from that. So it's, 
but then you are right. The, the, literally, the, the weeks afterwards, I was that was me shit canned. Like I was in absolute fucking bits for at least four days, four or five yeah. days, because that, like, that that dark place you have to go to to uh, to allow yourself to push the parameters of a performance, not necessarily PB performance, but a performance that you're trying to do. And again, that whole thing as well of like you've just got to realise like what what the peaks, what the kind of consequences that are going to be. So if you never peak, but you kind of just you ease into it and you treat it as a max out day, as opposed to a meet day which you peak for for weeks, which is very different. But you know that, oh, well, I might be able to take 140 if I peak for properly, but you know, 137 is a PB, and I reckon I could do 137 if I just go into it on the day. Then you can probably go back into training the next week and just carry on. Whereas if you peak for it properly, you're probably going to have about two weeks to a month where you're kind of not really going to feel exactly right. And for me, I've done it a few times where the first time it happened, I didn't consciously know. I actually thought I had flu for like a week. And then the second time I did it, I was like, oh, well, no, I'm going to feel like this for a bit. So basically squats is going to be nothing lower <clears throat> than five reps probably as high as tens because i know at least i can handle that and it's not going to fuck my joints up anymore but mm. it's the same as like going out and drinking on a weekend like if you're out on a big one you choose bank holiday because you can go out saturday sunday and recover the whole of monday because you know you got that day off it's the same thing you're going to go big so you're going to make sure that you know the consequences of it and you're going to give yourself room to recover from that like if you just constantly peak and constantly peak and constantly go heavy and constantly fuck yourself up it is the equivalent of like just going i'm just going to go on a bender thursday saturday and sunday every single week don't care about work. I'll get up for work the next day still, even if I have no sleep and I've had no food and I've been sick. It's that whole thing of like, you need to realise the consequences of using that kind of like peaking method. There is a reason that they don't peak elite lifters more than once or twice a year. And I think it goes down to like once when they get older it's because it is actually very stressful. Yeah, it's amazing to watch, but the, the trough you put yourself in afterwards can sometimes be so oh, yeah. you need a long that's, time. That's kind of where... I'm still waiting. I've, I've heard that they've opened the entries now for the European Masters, but I'm yet to hear with everything that's going on if it's actually going to be online or in the flesh. But I'm, that's the goal for me to to fully send it then. So everything I've done up to this point so far is just kind of like mini peak, mini peak, back into training. Where you're at. To, yeah. to almost like if I stop and if I was to take that week, it's going to take me, for every week that I try to deload like that, it's going to take me another week to come back again. And because of the turnaround the competition has almost been one a month so far since we've been back yeah. it's like trying to sort of like micromanage each one yeah. and that's why the, like the, from a sort of side project that I'm doing for the next sort of six weeks is fucking around with bands a lot more to take a lot of loading off me but yet still put me at a, a high level of effort I think is the best way to put it so it's going to be interesting yeah. to see the results of that on my body so. Yeah. Um, so now into the last topic which is a more light-hearted one <laughs> So we'll go through the, t- the types first and we'll go through what our favourites are and then we'll actually go through training music. So favourite, do you have a favourite UK Garage song? Mate, that's my era, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say I had a favourite because there's so it's, it's such a shitty fucking response to say like, oh, I love it all. But yeah. like, there's so many banging tunes like from the Garage era, like, but I couldn't really... When you used to work doors and when you used to go out, was that basically what was that was what was going to be on? Mate, garage, yeah, I'm, I'm that old. That I, I was at the back end of the, the garage scene. I think it was near enough, like the the, the late, the early two thousands. I think when it was just just starting to come out. I was yeah two thousand what two thousand two two thousand three was kind of like yeah, towards Craig David around that time. Um, I say that's when it became probably commercial. Yeah. Before that, it was underground and what, what grime was a couple of years ago and what drill is now yeah. and stuff like that. So that's what, like, I'm impressed with myself that I know those two genres of music because I am fucking as old as Odin. That's probably down to the guys at BD and Ash just telling me that, like, drill music, this is drill music. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, 
but yeah, like, I'd say like there's a handful, mate. Like there's so there were so many good fucking garage tunes. It was it'd be hard to pick a favorite one, but I think you everything that comes on the like the, your standard compilation, this is garage two thousand and doomph. That's kind of like the stereotypical garage music that I would listen to quite a lot. Um, but the one, obviously, the one that came up over the weekend, which was hilarious, because I I take distinct pleasure sometimes trying to wind up Chris Campbell. It's like at any point that I can make Chris just get a little bit angry, it's just always very funny. And then the introduction of boy band music to Chris Campbell was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I just she literally folded and almost lost her shit. It was so funny. It's like, it's like watching a ship going like full pelt and then someone literally just takes a big knife and just cuts the middle of the sail. It was like Iceberg Titanic. Which is like she just she lost her shit. Yeah. So um think, yeah, like, like, but the thing is like for I think the one thing that we're good at at the gym is that we'll we'll throw on anything really a little bit fucking out there or crazy to try Mark, and get Mark, Mark, Marcus and Farhan aren't allowed to touch the, the Spotify unless unless they're PBing. Because I, think I yeah. paid once, and obviously it was just them two there, and there was literally like I can't remember what it was, like a really weird niche like funk metal band, and then just Slipknot. That's all there was on yeah. Spotify, and I was like, "How have you managed to like fill this whole search history with this?" But I think my, my I think my favourite's probably got to be, oh, do you go with the with the song where, that where everyone basically it was um locked up by Akon. And this song, um, what do you call it? Um, Heartbroken by T2, where you try and infrared it to each other on your phones. That was mine. Or um, Daniel Beddingfield. I've got to get through this. I've got to get through this because that just sums up weightlifting as a sport. Yeah. I mean, like, all, all of that would be on the, if I was to put together like a garage playlist. That's like, like some of the top ones you think yeah. of, like, well, obviously. But yeah. like, like in, inadvertently through my time on the door working sort of Harlow and a little bit into London, like, I, I, I met near enough the whole of So Solid crew. Yeah, inadvertently, and it was just like I heard them perform, and it like the Lisa Mafia, all that lot. Alicia Dixon, yeah. when she was part of Miss, is it Mystique? If I remember her, her group, I think. Oh that's yeah, it. yeah. I remember one night we had. She was at this point still, I believe she was dating one of the guys from So Solid. He came to do a performance at the club I was at, and we were just chatting away to someone at the front door. And someone goes, oh, you know, that's that bird from Mystique. And I looked and went, oh, fuck me, it's Alicia Dixon. <laughs> I didn't even fucking realise it. She was lovely. So it's, um, yeah, like all, all that stuff. But like I say, it's, um, that's the one good thing, I think, I think to a certain extent, that we will just put on some stupid shit. And like, Boy Band Friday was hilarious. Favourite Boy Band song, I'll go first. It's got to be Belle with DeVoe, Poison. Uh, or Bye 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 by NSYNC. If you that's go a See, like that, we went through. Like, obviously, I, I played same as you. I played rugby with a lot of uh, Scots and Irish boys, and the Irish boys had a thing about anytime we did karaoke, it was Westlife, and I was, was one of the funniest. Some off the top of my head, I couldn't name you the songs, but the amount of times that we sang there singing Westlife, it's just fucking ridiculous. So, but yeah, no, NSYNC. Um, what else? Like the, the we had on the other day that was hilarious. Um, Backstreet Boys came on. That was quite amusing. Oh, I wanted that way. No, I wanted. Yeah. That fair that's that's a fucking top song no it's just like that but like i said the, the main way it was just 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 the complete dislikening <laughs> whatever was being played by chris campbell <laughs> honestly that's like she just honestly you know when she gives you that look like you're like you fucked up if it's not <laughs> r&b or pop smoke then she's not training to it yeah and i'm just like come on let's just five minutes more, no turning it off walks over and just dump. i'm just like oh for fuck's sake yeah then fun Last one, favourite classic rock song. I don't think I have one because I don't think I listen to rock this far back. Oh, you do? It's Journey. Yeah, no, you, no, you Journey. 
That's like that's that's that 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 when that got re-released because of that TV show. Oh, Family Guy. No, no, no. Um, what was a TV show? It's, I don't. It was, oh fuck me! When they, they, they all the kids singing and they did all the covers. Oh god, the annoying thing oh, is everyone. Um, Glee. Yeah, they did the the Don't Stop Believing uh, journey, didn't they? And that got re-released under that, and then that, that went all nuts, and they, <laughs> that went through our that went through the rugby club with us, and everyone started singing it. But like from a classic rock perspective, I'd say it's either that or um, oh, here we come again. What's that? All along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix. That is another very good piece of guitar work. To be fair, that is, but that's not classic rock. That's just that's Hendrix. That's different. Blues, if you want to be picky. Oh, what about Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin? That's tuned, but like not for training. See, like for training, you know, it's got to be a bit sing-alongy, I think, from my perspective. So, like in, in the oh, gym. what about Queen? Another one bites the dust. Anything by Queen is a winner. Like okay. Fat Bottom Girls, Bicycle, fucking We Are the Champions. You put Queen's greatest hits on in the gym, and 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 you're not all singing by the third, second or third song. You're an asshole, as far as I'm concerned. I'm trying to think. Well, I'm just looking at like the rock because I could, I thought, do I actually listen to any rock? I put in rock classes on Spotify. That's what I'm really into. So I, don't, I don't think you would listen to anything like that would be deemed as as, as classic rock. Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. That is a reach for classic rock, but that is yeah. On, I'm just going to put classic rock in as a as a, a playlist to see what comes up. Oh, Born to Be Wild, Steppenwolf. To be fair, that, that's a tune. That is a tune. Again, it's like it depends what era we're talking about as well. So. I think I personally, right? I found one song on this place where I reckon if you were to have like a rock song, like so everything's going well at the gym, and you just get it where ev- it would make everyone stop and just look at the fucking speaker and what and want to fucking just throw shit at it. Every breath you take by the police. Can you imagine if that came on? So everything's normal. You've got pop smoke on, and then all of a sudden. Every breath you take with Steve. That, that's that's like the um on your playlist where you've got Rick Astley. Uh, hey, but I, I, I that's a tune. That's an absolute tune. But it's like in every playlist that it would be in there at least twice. Yeah. So I could do someone with it. So whenever whenever it would come on, I I quite like I quite like that song. I it's also really like it because some people just go, "What the fuck is this? I can't train to this," and I'm quite happy with Rick Astley. To be yeah, see, I can I can I can rock away at that. That's not an issue. I mean, I've I've gone down the, the avenue of um. <laughs> when I was training at Powering Through on my own one one afternoon, I put on the Batman versus Superman orchestral soundtrack. That works though, especially if you listen yeah. to them at the. So you start with it on, and then you keep yeah, like, all of a sudden my warm up all the way through, and yeah. I PB the cleaning jerk. Yeah, but it's like if you put on like house music, and then all of a sudden it switches to that, you kind of go like, "This is fucking weird." But if you just put on like orchestral soundtracks and listen to it all the way through, it kind of does. I don't know if it's because there's not many like. It gently switches tempos and stuff. But what yeah, like no, that worked well. But like I say, the the anything classic Rocky that I would I would I'd 100 listen to in the gym. Gladiator soundtrack is apparently quite good for that. And Lord and Gladiator, oh, Gladiator the, the boys tried Lord of the Rings soundtrack when they were training together on Zoom. I still don't understand. How. Lord of the Rings is a bit of an odd one. I think that's 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 it's too much that this because it covers all three films. It's just there's too much going on at yeah, once. And there's too but, much uh, sad stuff in there. You know, like the music they play behind it when um you know Frodo and Sam are talking about not leaving each other. Yeah, it gets a bit gay. I'm not gonna lie. Um, what was the what was the other one? But also, oh, if you had to pick a song where it's like the, the worst training songs of all time, where you couldn't think of anything worse, what would you pick? See, it wasn't it wasn't a training song. It was it was at lower, and the fuckers like I, I used to get so angry with Mike that he'd have music on in the background at a comp, and then they would just turn it down. Um, I I remember going out to do, I think it was something like a 118 or a 120 snatch to the Venga bus. Yes. 
And I just like after that, when we got, I got back to Chumsford to train, they then put on the 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 Venger Boys greatest hits, and that was the on the, the, the on running joke for weeks. Um, from that perspective, was just like having to hear that all the time. I'm like for fuck's sake, like, yeah. this is not max out music. Can we please turn this off? Um, the other only other thing that's happened to me music wise, which I found immensely funny at the end of it, and I couldn't work out for the life of me what was going on. I was coaching on a Friday night in Chumsford, and Emma and Steve just took control of the music like Emma's one of my oldest friends and Steve I was at part of his wedding and this is where the story's going and um he put Usher on and I thought oh that's all right that's Usher he's not too bad first album's quite good second one's quite good after that it started to get a little bit fucking ropey but this whole fucking playlist for like a two and a half hour session was just Usher's greatest hits so then we then end up going to Byron Burger afterwards and Steve hands me I goes oh sorry mate this is like a late birthday present I'm like okay not too much of a problem opened it up and it was an Usher CD I'm like we've yeah. just spent two hours listening he goes no like what, what's happening in like like later next year and I'm like you're getting married and I went oh it clicked it was his way to ask me to be one of the ushers at his wedding but my god I had to listen to like like I said when you listen to like yeah and all the other ones you're like this is banging for training this is great but then when it goes into like the love songs for Usher I'm like yeah. this is not the vibe we need in the training scenario right now can we please change it <laughs> songs in there that just don't quite Hit properly. And hit a note. But yeah, no, like I say, man, it's it's um I, I think we've got a, a very good broad um thought process on what we play at Ronin, which can be very helpful at times and very funny at times. But I don't think anyone puts anything on that's too bad. Well, I, I know I would if I got given half the chance, but do you know what I think would be awful? I just listen to angry metal all the time. Yeah, um, uh Chris DeBerg, Lady in Red. I reckon that would fuck it like in the room like that, and you would be able to bring it back after that. So if the energy's high and you put that on, I reckon you would be able to bring it back. You put on Chris DeBerg, Lady in Red. That's a tune though. It, oh, questionable. What <laughs> I think about is his eyebrows when I when I think of that song. Or or simply red. Also another one where that would just batter the room in terms of atmosphere. It would just fucking kill it. Oh, it'd kill it. There's some there's some that would absolutely kill it. I've got um I've got a couple of good, I think I've got American American anthems or something like that. I had on my iTunes that were just like like that. They'll be like absolute banger, and then it'll be like Lady in Red. You're like, well, that's kind of fucked that up. So yeah, or it'll go like or Enya or or Sade. Oh, Sade smooth operator. To be fair, (laughs) if you could fucking max out to that, I reckon whatever you know. Sometimes when you go out to, I think the last English champs and British champs, they started playing music for you to walk out to. And sometimes you get like a fucking sick song, like it'd be like Timber by like um Kesha and like Pitbull. And then you just get an absolute fucking stinker. And then they just pump, put, as soon as you go to the talk, they just pump volume down. And it's just kind of like, oh, that's a bit of shit. You just fuck that for me. Go fuck yourself now. Yeah. All right. Well, if you had, if you, if you got used to lifting to like a smooth operator by Sade and Rick Astley, I don't reckon, I reckon that will bulletproof. We can, we can apply the lifters. But look, this is this, the music that we're playing is, is, is training you to be a better lifter. So you can respond in, in, in any, any fashion. <laughs> or like really, really jittery stuff like Russian happy hardcore, where it's just like agitating. So it's like it's really, really fast. One one afternoon with Waylands in his in his usual chatty self, we were training at Powering Through. And um he goes, What should we put on today? And I went, Fuck it, let's put Bulgarian pop music on. Oh Christ. That went down an avenue we weren't expecting. And then he he was very much into the Himalayan throat music. That was an interesting afternoon. So that's if you want to Google one like, like that, that's a it's, little, it's a very like it's a very eerie sound. It's a bit like Tibetan bowls, you know, like the noise of it's like it's very it's it's very pleasant, but it's also very very like. The, the, there's a band called the Who, the H H U, 
Oh no, um, you've been in, no, we're not. We're not doing Mongolian throat metal at the gym again. I can't do it again. Ian. <laughs> that was good. That was out of all of it. That was the the better version of it. But like I say, it was it was quite amusing to sit there and like I say, the Bulgarian pop music was just Mehmed would have probably been in his element. But like we were like about five to six songs into it, it got a bit bad. And the other one we got into that was quite amusing. You know, Jocko Willink. Have you ever listened to him? Yes. Yeah. They've done. They've took a lot of his inspirational. Uh, chats oh, off his podcast yeah. and they knew, put it to music. Yeah. That was that was an interesting afternoon. They do it a lot with um ET the hip hop preacher and um David, David Goggins as well. Yeah. All so that, the, that, was, that was quite a good one. What was the classic one? The uh Al Pacino speech that was usually yeah, from, from uh, any given Sunday. Yeah. And they redid it due to do you remember when um Guinness fought, um over took over the premiership and they got like a English guy, an English actor to redo the speech, but obviously in a really like British accent and for some reason I think they tweaked a bit of it and it kind of works but it's really really random no Heineken Cup sorry they did it for Heineken Cup which is quite cool the other one that I, I thought was quite good as well is they uh, someone took C.T. Fletcher's rants and put that to music as well and that was fucking hilarious just C.T. just fucking shouting smash or Hulk smash and all that kind yeah. of silly shit but like, I, th- I think we could get away with some of those sort of motivational like video to music things that'd be quite amusing one day yeah or was it like i'm rocket all the rocky balboa ones oh mate it's like i think movie soundtracks are probably the better ones for stuff like that because you can associate back to the film as long as it's a good film so anything rocky um was the other rambo like stuff like that most most of sylvester's films you can probably get away with the soundtracks sometimes like just weird weird stuff from marvel villains as well sometimes works quite well the Marvel ones are good, yeah. I agree with that. The Guardians of the, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack is always a good one. That is like proper, like not even classic rock music. It's classic music from like was it's like the eighties and nineties era, isn't it? Like but on his little um, it's cassette player. Little, yeah, it's little cassette player. But yeah, that yeah, that's quite cool. That's probably that one. Right, hold yeah, on. That, that was always a good turnout as well. So, but yeah, man. It's, it's... Hi guys, thank you for making this end of this podcast. So if you want to know anything else about it, what it is that we do, if you want to look at some of our other content, or you want to join the Ronin Strength team as a weightlifter, powerlifter, or you want to receive strength and conditioning for another sport, please go and check out roninstrength.co.uk or visit any of the coaches' Instagram pages and shoot us a message and we will be happy to help you. We will see you on the next episode.